This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go! Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. So, the big news in baseball, obviously, is with the Marlins. And I don't necessarily love the way it's being covered. And everybody has a doom and gloom scenario. And I, and I want to kind of look at it from more of a, a journalist than a sports writer. Because there's questions here. And they're not questions that I'm seeing in the USA Today or The Athletic or ESPN.com or CBS Sports or whoever is covering these things. I'm not hearing questions about, okay, let's get our arms around this. I just keep hearing, especially people from the outside, see, they shouldn't be playing. Okay, wait a minute. One team has it. It's come out. Just about all 29 teams have done a great job. It's this one team. Why? No one's asking the question. Because you got to remember, it's not like these guys haven't been together now for weeks. If we if we have an idea of how COVID-19 works, they tested people coming in. Those guys who tested positive are already back playing. You saw Tyler Glass now absolutely dominating the Atlanta Braves yesterday. We saw we saw Jesus Lazardo on Saturday back on the mound, blowing 98 with that changeup. So what this tells us when we look at the timeline of, of when you get COVID and when you test positive and when symptoms come, and we're going to ask Craig Mish, because that's something I like to ask that, I haven't seen any of our baseball brethren ask, what kind of symptoms are they having? Because if you're like Jesus Lazardo, really no symptoms, quarantine, test twice, negative, you're back playing. Your body beat it. You know, some guys are going to have uh, Ezekiel Elliott, the great running back for the Dallas Cowboys, said he felt like I had a cold, just a little shortness of breath. And then gone. So what are the symptoms? And I want to know, 
Okay, where was everybody? Because you were in this bubble. You left Miami. They went to Atlanta, and then they went to Philly. Was everybody doing the protocol is what I'm getting at. Because the 29 other teams are all seeming to do be doing pretty well. Why, why now an outbreak with these guys? You know, as we found out, Lou Williams of the Clippers went to a gentleman's club. See, that's a no-no. Bars, clubs. Hey, I'm going with a bunch of buddies to a, a barbecue in the backyard. Not supposed to be doing that stuff. And Stan Caston, president of the Dodgers, who we had on at spring training. It was so funny, I just ran into him. Uh, longtime executive in multiple sports. He's quoted as saying, and the commissioner backed that up on MLB Network, was we knew at some point there would be some cases. So while everybody started, I, I don't know, did everybody really go into this thinking that nobody's going to test positive during the season? Is that what was that the ex, did Because that was not the expectations. They've known at some point some people are going to be able to. That's why they have the alternate sites. Because they know it's possible people could test positive. I'm almost at a point to where I got to get off Twitter. I really, it, it, it's, I, 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 there's so many people that I follow that I just don't trust what they have to say. Especially, we have so many people now in the radio brethren who are not really trained to do this. We're not real journalists. They're just all hot takes people and somehow got jobs. Ugh, I'm at the point to where I'm like, I might just, just scrap it. I mean, as of right now, I, I, I'll i tweet stuff about the A's and I'll retweet our show, but the rest, ugh. Baseball knew at some point there, baseball never said, I don't know, unless I'm wrong, Cody. Baseball ever said, oh, no, we won't have anybody test positive. Yeah, they, I, watched, I don't know if you've watched this or not, but Commissioner Manfred was on uh, MLB, MLB Tonight yesterday. With He got an interview by Tom Verducci. It was like a 10-minute interview, and he was just talking about what happened yesterday, and like he pretty much like acknowledged that they knew that this was going to happen and how to figure it out. We found out today Ken Rosenthal put up the piece from the MLB, the MLB statement that they did a bunch of t- – I think I have it right here on my computer – from Ken Rosenthal earlier today, that in over 6,400 tests conducted since Friday, July 24th, there have been no new positives of on-field personnel from any other of the other 29 clubs. So it was just the Marlins, which is so weird because if you're gonna, if people are going to blame it on no, Florida. No, that's not weird. That's where you got to be a journalist and ask questions. you got to who, what, where, why. I mean, wh- why is this happening just to them? Well, that's something like- – well, something, it's not weird. Something went on. Somebody went, I mean, it, unless they're totally unlucky, which is also a possibility. But something happened. Did something happen? And that's what needs to be questioned. They need to find out and go to the guys that have it and said, okay, tell me what you did while you were in Atlanta. Tell me what you did while you were in Philadelphia. Tell me what you did right before we left. Because remember, if you get it, it's not like it's sudden. It takes time. So that's why they need to ask their players these questions. Because if the other 20, now, now if the other 29 teams start doing it, well, then, you know, we're, it'll be shut down. 
But since it's one team, it makes me go, hmm, puts my thinking cap on. And baseball needs to investigate this and needs to figure that out. And the Marlins need to figure it out. Did somebody go somewhere? Did somebody leave, you know, ideally if I don't know what they're doing to the hotel rooms, but I'm assuming that they're like disinfectant or they're doing something to the hotel rooms. And they probably have, and, you know, that's something that uh, I probably could find out. Uh, I don't I don't know if every team's different or whatever, but I'm sure there's places that they can go to eat that have been sterilized. And then they got way more buses so they can social distance. And they're spreading these guys out in the clubhouse and they're supposedly spreading them out in the dugout. Remember, these guys have been with each other for weeks. It's not like they just showed up and, oh, a guy brought in COVID. So they got this while being together. So that's my point is, how? Did you? Did somebody or did a couple guys go somewhere maybe they shouldn't have gone? And that's where we have talked to players about how they have said, and we were talking to Stephen, Stephen Piscotti about it, about how they've all talked about we got to protect ourselves. Well, it just takes one bad apple or two bad apples to break that, and then they bring COVID back into the traveling party. Is a guy, is someone just unlucky who got it and, and spread it through? Then then that's that's a possibility too. But that's why you have to ask questions. And I don't hear anybody asking questions. And it's not my job to be questioning the Florida, Miami, Dade County Marlins. Does that make sense? No, it does. And it, it it's just like I, when I was thinking about it, because if, if, you know, there's going to be people out there going, well, you know, they're in Florida. It's a hot spot. Well, the Rays aren't having any issues and they're playing they're playing their games at home. They play Tampa and now they're or they play Toronto. And now they're playing Atlanta. Be interesting now what happens after they play Atlanta, because that's where the that's where the Marlins were before they went to Philadelphia. Now, I don't, I don't know if you saw this, but. The Marlins are now not playing till Monday. The Phillies are off until Friday. The Yankees are supposed to play the Phillies tonight at home. They're now going to play the Orioles tomorrow and Wednesday in Baltimore. So it created a whole mess of scheduling conflicts now. But it, it makes sense to have the Marlins off until next Monday so they can try to put together a team from their taxi squad and their their 60-man, you know, the guys in their, their alternative site to get playing. Like, I know it's a joke that, like, some guys are saying – Hey, like the Marlins are looking to fill healthy rosters, and Dontrell Willis kind of put a, a a gif out there of saying, "Like I'm ready, like call me." Pretty much, like I'm ready to go. But you want the health and safety to be first, and that's what they're doing. But you also want to, we want to see the season continue, and it's just one team after 6,400 tests conducted. Only one team has issues. We need to know what was happening either in Atlanta or Philadelphia with this. Marlins team that I told you last week I thought was going to be a playoff team, and they got up to the start to be a playoff team, and then this all came down over the weekend. So it's kind of unfortunate, but I'm, I'm hoping that we figure out the, what the problem was and they, what the contact tracing and all that, and they uh, they sort it out and they're back playing sooner than later. Okay, and, and here's here's something else that, that you're not going to hear. Last time the Marlins were on the field with quite a few COVID cases, what was the score of the game? Uh, well, they scored a lot of runs. And they have like eleven runs or something. I believe the Marlins beat the Phillies eleven to six. Yeah, that was a uh, it was a butt whooping in Philadelphia. 
Yeah. Yeah. The guy's all with COVID. And I'm not, I mean, trust me, I'm sensitive to this. I understand. I'm just trying to figure it out. But yeah, a bunch of them got COVID and they beat the Phillies 11 to six. See, that's the thing. It's like, we're going to ask Craig Mish. And that's something that I, I like to talk about because I don't want to use the virus as a political football. Too many people are doing that. You know, I want to know what are the cases? Because Tyler Glass now are two two examples. There's our own Jesus Lazardo, Tyler Glass now. You test, you find out they got it, you quarantine them, they come back, they gotta they gotta pass two negative tests, they're back playing. I give the Colorado Rockies all the respect in the world. And the reason why I say that is we're in a pandemic. They went on the road during a pandemic. They went to Texas and California. Two of the major hotspots for the pandemic in, 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 in the world. It's not like they went to like North Dakota, South Dakota. They went to Texas and California and they come out of it four and one. I mean, how do you not? I mean, like literally, how do you not sit back and go, I'm pretty impressed. From a standpoint of what they're traveling, they're in an airplane, they're staying at hotels. They're, I mean, obviously, you know, we all have the worries. I mean, now the commissioner of baseball is coming out. Even, I mean, the, rea- the reality is this. You had Marlins players test positive. Well, we talked about it on, have we talked about this yet, Cody, or was this just on uh, the uh, on A's talk? Yeah, I don't think we've really got into the Marlins situation. And, and, you know, and it's funny, an internal investigation has happened, and Scott Miller has been breaking it down. So it's great that we're going to have him in 10 minutes to get the full details of what happened with the Marlins. So it's looking like some Florida Marlins players broke protocol and went out, did a little nightlife in Atlanta when they were taking on the Braves. Then they travel to Philadelphia and start the season. And then yesterday, there was the, oh, people have tested positive with the Phillies. Not not a Phillies player. People who are around the Marlins tested positive, but not Phillies players. So, essentially, and we'll find out from Scott coming up here, what happened? Because to me, it was like, this is a total outlier. We have 29 other teams. Now, we have had two players test positive. Which organization, Cody, today? It was the uh, Cardinals. I believe it was two pitchers, what I heard on MLB Network earlier. It was from the, I think the Athletic Report, it was two different Cardinals pitchers that have tested positive for COVID-19. So there's another organization. There's now been like six teams that have had their games affected now this weekend. Cardinals, Brewers, uh, Marlins, Phillies, Nats, Blue Jays, I want to say somewhere in there. It's not the Nats. There's another team I'm forgetting. But six teams have had their schedule like altered or, or changed this weekend already. Yeah, but, but the commissioner said this, and we had this also last time we were on. Stan Kasson, the president of the Dodgers, said this. They knew at some point some players would test positive. The Marlins thing is a whole different ballgame. And we'll talk to Scott Miller about that. Like Kind of an outlier. What happened? And it, it, it looks like players broke protocol and went out, and they went out partying in Atlanta. And caught it. Then they went to Philadelphia. So we'll talk to Scott Miller about that. But I got to tell you, for our own Oakland Athletics, 
I'm going to give the, the Rockies all the respect in the world. Like I said, they started the season on the road in a pandemic and went 4-1. and one. That's legit. Did you see the some of the comments that uh, – because I because I thought of because of Houston the comments that like Oral Hershiser and Joe Davis were making about the Astros and the Dodgers and all the stuff that happened with the there was one where like Altuve struck out looking and and Oral was like there's a difference between he said something that was like along the lines of it's easier when you don't know what's when uh, when you don't know what's coming something like that and then wow. and then he they said something yesterday whenever uh, Ross Stripling hit Starling Marte in the head on accident and Marte was fine. He goes, oh, just just in. Uh, Ross Stripling's been suspended for 100 games, but he's going to appeal because of the whole Joe Kelly thing. So the Dodgers I mean, are making – <laughs> I, I, You know, our, our guy Kevin Franzen, great San Jose State Spartan, former big leaguer and now broadcaster for the Philadelphia Phillies, I loved his reply. I retweeted it when Ken Rosenthal put out there that Joe Kelly was suspended – and our guy Franny put out, and yet not one Astro was suspended. So now that you're actually policing the game that's been going on forever, you, they're the victim. It's hard to believe. And you know I've gone after this so many times. But it is really hard to believe that the Astros are now the victim. They literally cheated for years. Not one, but years. They all got to keep their rings. They all got to keep all the money they made, the millions of dollars they made cheating. They got to keep everything. And now, if you go after them for it, you're the bad guy, and you're going to get punished. I don't even know how to explain that. Literally, they cheated. They were caught cheating. They weren't punished. Well, well the owner got fined $5 million. Jim Crane is a bazillionaire. And you know how much money the Astros have made in the last three years being in the playoffs? Three years. A World Series. Multiple World Series. You know how much money you make when you're in the postseason like that? Millions. So what's $5 million? That's like tip money. That's falling out of Jim Crane's pocket, $5 million. I know I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. Jim Crane played in the AT&T this year down at Pebble Beach. Went on a local radio station. I know the people who work for that radio station. And I'm just going to keep it at that. And I'm just going to say this, that when his headset came off the interview, he was very cavalier about what happened and said other teams are doing it and they're not getting called out. A local sports station, people I know, Jim Crane said that after this interview down at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. So you think he's really – so he stood up in – what he sat down at that press conference. And, oh, we're so sorry. He ain't sorry. He wrote the $5 million check because it's nothing. And they get to keep everything. And now they're the victim. 
Think about that. They're literally the worst cheat. I mean, are they worse than the Patriots? I mean, the Patriots, you still got to play the game, right? You still got to block. You still got to tackle. You still got I me. Mean, football's football. And you don't know 100% what the other team's calling. You may have an idea by formation, but you have no idea. You could think it's a pass, and then they audible. I mean, there's audibles. The Rams called audibles. So if they call an audible, you may not know the play. You think you have a good idea, but you don't know. And still, even if you know the play in football, it's blocked. I'll ne- I worked in the NFL for years, and I will tell you that no matter what, the essentials are still blocking and tackling, and who's tougher. So I could know the play in football. I mean, Vince Lombardi and the Green Bay Packers ran a sweep, and everybody knew they were going to run a sweep. Everybody knew it was either going right or left, and they're going to run a power sweep. Can you stop it? There are times in a football game where a team is up and they're like, we're going to run the football and run the clock out. What are you going to do about it? You know the run's coming. You can stack the box. You can, but we're better than you are and we're going to run it down your throat and there's nothing you can do about it. When you when Randy Moss goes out right, you know I'm throwing it deep to him. The safety knows it. The corner knows it. The whole defense shifts. And I'm throwing it up to Randy Moss. What are you going to do about it? Well, there's nothing you can do about it because he's Randy Moss. He's going to jump over your guys and catch it and score touchdowns, if not first downs. You know that's going to happen. But in baseball, I mean, the hardest thing to do is hit this round object with this, this bat. You don't realize how much of the bat actually touches the ball. That's what makes it by science so tough to do. And oh, by the way, this ball is moving and spinning and dropping and doing all these things that pitchers can do with baseballs. That's why they say the toughest thing to do is to hit a baseball. But if I now know what's coming, I mean, how many times did you see Alex Bregman? And this is the thing where they were so stupid. They didn't even fake it. Like if I know a breaking ball is coming, Bregman wouldn't even move. And as a human being, how do you not flinch a little or some kind of movement? He just didn't move because he knew a breaking ball was coming. He wasn't swinging. They were really bad actors. If it was me and I knew it was coming, I would at least faked it. Like kind of kind of gave like a little offering to it. Oh, it's breaking ball. Nope. Bregman wouldn't even move. He just sat there and waited for your fastball. They're cheaters. They won 60 games at home. 60. There's only 82 games at home. They won 60. Detroit didn't even win 50 games all year. (laughs) They won 60 games at home and got away with it. It's unbelievable. And now Joe Kelly's the bad guy. He didn't even hit anybody. Did the ball out of his hand hit an Astros player? Uh, Yes or no? uh, Confirmed it did not hit anyone. So, he didn't actually hit anybody, and he got suspended. I got to be honest with you. This is unbelievable. They're the victims, and they're now being protected. I get intent. 
But if I don't actually commit the crime, how do I get charged? You can say intent all you want. They looked at his prior history because apparently I guess it happened in 2018 when he was with the Red Sox. I mean, if you want to see how erratic Joe Kelly is as a thrower, just watch the video from the offseason where he broke a window in his house trying to hit a target that he had hanging up in a net. He breaks a window in his house. If I'm him, if I'm him, I'm appealing. Well, he is. And if I'm, he what? He's supposed to appeal, yeah. And if I lose, I'm suing. I, I, I would be. If this was me, I'd be irate. Now, obviously, him uh, yelling at Correa and calling him names doesn't look good. But whatever. I didn't hit anybody. Did the ball hit anybody? Nope. Okay, you're suspending me for eight games in a in a in a sixty game season. What's that the equivalent? Uh, I think it was uh, equivalent during a regular season game or like a normal season. It was like twenty, I think twenty one or twenty two games. I'm gonna tell you right now because they're saying everything is two point seven, right? Two point seven times eight equals twenty one point six. So we'll round up. You're suspending him for twenty two games. Has anyone? Ever is there any pitcher in the history of baseball, non-drug related, non-PED or non-street drug related, been suspended for twenty-two games? Um, yes, but it's for the domestic violence things. Like, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I, but other like perform on the field things, not that I can remember. No, especially for throwing the ball at someone. I mean, even Dave Roberts got a game. I mean, he served it already. Uh, your your good friend Bob Guerin filled in as the manager that night. Uh, oh, Bobby Guerin! So he's one and zero. He's back. He's he's going to get a job next year now since he's one and zero or whatever the next two years from now. Uh, the the quote from Oral, by the way, was uh, "Guessing is nowhere than uh, is harder than knowing." Uh, so that's what his, that's what he said after Altuve struck out, and then this came out the other day too. It was in the Athletic. Our good friend Evan Drellick uh, broke the story. Uh, Major League Baseball and the Players Association have agreed that. Players who steal signs electronically can be suspended without pay or service time. That was according to him in The Athletic. There was a whole article. So that was something that came out the other day. So you suspend Joe Kelly for eight games. And then now you're going to say, oh, yeah, you can get. we're going to suspend players for sign stealing after the ball was dropped on the Astros situation when they stole signs and won a World Series title. Uh, I get where the Dodgers come from. I can see. I actually see both sides of it. I think Mad Dog was going off about it. Like he was saying the Dodgers need to let it go now. But I also see where, no, you can't because no one. The season just started, and now teams are finally starting to, to see well, you know, go after the Astros. Like, yeah, Seattle wasn't going to go after them. They didn't steal a World Series from Seattle. No offense to Seattle fans, the Mariner fans, but you weren't playing for a World Series title in seventeen, uh, eighteen, and well, definitely not last year. Craig, it's great to have you back on the program. How are things in the Sunshine State? Well, they could be a little bit better. First of all, I appreciate you having me on for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, pretty much worst-case scenario, unfortunately, for uh, South Florida fans who are Marlins fans because they're not going to get them to see them play for a period of time. So certainly uh, not something that I expected to happen and especially happen so quickly. Yeah, I get you know, the big question that I have, and it's something that we've talked about on the show and most people, most baseball people aren't thinking this way. But if you think about when summer camp or spring training 2.0, uh, wh- whatever people want to call it, these players have now been with each other for a while. 
And normally, if someone would have come in with COVID, like let's say Tyler Glass now, our own Jesus Lazardo, they've already recovered and they're playing. So if there's an outbreak going on now, it means somebody with the knowing what we know about the virus, someone caught the virus while inside this so-called spring training bubble. Do we know any more than that? Uh, you, you mean in the mar in terms of the Marlins, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I don't think that that is accurate. I, I think that um, within the bubble, the Marlins basically uh, tested every day for three weeks and didn't have a single positive test the entire time. So this happened when the Marlins left their bubble of South Florida and went on the road to Atlanta to play two exhibition games. Now, what happened there is still remains to be seen. And what happened in between the time that they traveled from Atlanta to Philadelphia is also somewhat in question. So I think as we trace this thing back, I think that is really the source of the issue. And there certainly is rampant speculation about a number of different things going on, all of which no one has confirmed anything yet. But I'm guessing in the coming days, somebody will. Yeah, we're speaking the same language. You just did it better than I did. <laughs> my, my point was, it wasn't like someone caught COVID before they started summer camp, because by that point, they would have been over it. They caught it somewhere along the line while being with the team. Well, whether it was South Florida, as you said, Georgia or Philadelphia, somebody went it somehow. And, you know, that's the thing for us is, you know, wear your mask, wash your hands, constantly using Purell, you know, use social distancing. Someone caught it while they were a part of the group. Yeah. And, and I think in this case, uh, you know, they, they probably caught it when they went on the road. I just wish that I had more details and information that I could provide, but we, we just don't know exactly how it happened um, at the present time. But I would tell you that once Major League Baseball allowed players to travel, and certainly that's the only way to do it if you're going to be playing in your home parks, you were opening up that possibility. And now we're going to have to find that out. We're going to have to find out and, and, and basically learn a lesson from that. But you know, the one lesson that I've taken from all of this is that if, if you can limit the travel as much as possible, which Major League Baseball tried to do and, and smartly tried to do at the beginning of the season by having the teams play regionally, essentially, uh, then you're off to a good start. But I still think that having teams travel the day before the game is opening themselves up to a world of trouble, because if you're not going to have those tests back until after you land, it's too late. You know, if there's like something positive that we can take out of this, because the other 29 teams supposedly are doing well, um, is that now guys will be taking more precautions. I was looking at a game yesterday with the Cincinnati Reds, and next thing you know, they, they pan over the dugout, and Sonny Gray and Trevor, Trevor Bauer have their masks just hanging not on. And I'm thinking to myself, why? Maybe just maybe with what's happened with the Marlins, the other 29 teams will be like, guys, you got to have your masks on. You got to social distance. You can't be high fiving and celebrating together. Maybe just the Marlins can teach or just what's happened to the Marlins can teach the other 29 teams. Guys, you got to do the protocols. I don't think there's any question about it that the way that the Marlins are going to be used in this spot is for the other teams to learn. And I would also say for the other leagues to, to learn from this, from in, maybe in the NHL or, or even in the NFL coming up in a few months too. And that's really unfortunate that the Marlins are sort of the litmus test to how to keep this going 
But I do think that you're right. I've seen players still spitting on the ground. I think it's pretty obvious at this point. And maybe they'll have to start curbing that. But there's no question to me that the testing part of this is the one thing that needs to change. It may cost more money and it may cost somebody more money, but this has to be every day. I I don't believe that this can be every two days or three days or even wondering what could possibly happen. And I understand that Major League Baseball players are in a more privileged position than people like us who are just working stiffs every day. Uh, They got to step it up a little bit more and get these tests back and get them back faster, if that is possible. Well, and then I've been wondering, you know, what are the symptoms? Because some guys don't feel it at all. Freddie Freeman had a high fever. You know, all of a sudden, you know, look at the Marlins. They scored, what was it, 11 runs against the Phillies, and all of a sudden people yeah. tested positive, but they just pounded the Phillies. So that's something I'm I'm now real interested in because cases are going up, but the death rate's going down. Do we know how the players actually feel? Yeah, well, there's a lot of players involved here with the Marlins, and, and, it, and it's my you know, just from doing some of my investigating, it seems like most of the players don't have any symptoms. And I've heard a couple potentially that do. And and that's just, you know, sort of polling different people. And it's not easy to get results from that. And a lot of times you're talking to third parties in those situations. So um, it, it does seem that the condition for a lot of the players are mild. That does appear to be true. But everyone seems to be discussing the one player on the Boston Red Sox, the pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez, who seems to be having it a lot harder than a lot of other players uh, due to his physical health and, and, and having some breathing issues. So I still don't think that we can just look at it and say 90% of the players are having no issue because there's a 10% or a 5% or 1%. I don't know what that is, but whatever the percentage is, you have to protect those players. Where exactly is the Marlins taxi squad? Well, the taxi squad, if I'm not mistaken, is able to travel with the team. So the taxi squad is a handful of players that go with the team just in case anything happens. And then if something happens on the spot, they can use them. They have an alternate campsite, which is in Jupiter, Florida, which is made up of all the players that in case something happens to the taxi squad, then those players would be available to play in a major league game on a call-up situation. Every team has 60 players that are available uh, on their roster. So um, that's in Jupiter, Florida. Some of those players in Jupiter, Florida will have to be on the Marlins big league roster when they resume, if they resume next week. But they're also going to have to go through a very thorough testing process because several of those players in Jupiter traveled with the Marlins to Atlanta for the exhibition and then traveled back to Florida after they were over. So like for us, uh, the alternate site, is San Jose, which is, you know, about 35 minutes because we have no traffic now. <laughs> and then uh, right. for the Giants, it's it's Sacramento. How far is Jupiter from Miami? Uh, Jupiter is probably an hour and 15 minutes, maybe a little bit more depending on the traffic uh, from Miami. It is a straight drive uh, uh, down an interstate I-95. Uh, it's in the Palm Beach uh, County district, and you would drive an hour and 15 minutes. I always say it depends on how fast you drive. You know that uh, anywhere with traffic. But that's about the the uh, the number there, a little bit over an hour. And how do you know how much those guys are getting tested? Because we, we know the guys in the big leagues, what, every other day, and some teams now probably every day. But do, do we know how much the alternate site guys are getting tested? I don't know the answer to that, no. Because that, you know, bringing them in – uh, that's it. I mean, it's all stuff. My God, we've never seen anything like this. And it's, uh, 
it's it, it is, is crazy, and we know statements coming out from Derek Jeter and everything about protecting the players, and hopefully uh, can can get this thing out of control and get the Marlins playing again. How far off do you think? Because we know they've got some young talent. How far off do you think the Marlins are from from being a team that can really be competitive? I, I thought, I mean, going into this, uh, you know, I thought 2021 was re- reasonable to think that they could be a team that could finish around 500 or maybe even better. They have a top five minor league system in Major League Baseball, and several of those players in a 162 game season this year, I thought we would have seen this year too. Um, now that's very much in question. I think it has to be. And I think all of this has set back teams to a degree, and, and especially a team like Miami that needed to continue to develop those young players. Uh, so I can't necessarily say that 2021 is going to be a winning season, but I don't think that Derek Jeter, their CEO, and Bruce Sherman, their principal owner, who uh, is a huge baseball fan and um, you know, and certainly is, is getting up there in age, I don't think that they bought the team to wait 10 years to win. My guess is in the next year or two. Obviously very big down there in South Florida is the Miami Dolphins. And I just think about, you know, what we're seeing right now with baseball. Um, God, football. If baseball has had a hard time starting, I just can't imagine the NFL season. Yeah, and I, and I think that they're very fortunate that they've had all this time to prepare. It is very surprising to me that they are just going to plow on like this and plan on just executing a normal game plan, a normal training camp. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't want to say that they should be in a bubble or baseball should be in a bubble because I don't think it's realistic for the amount of players that are involved in this. It's not like the NBA. It's really uh, completely different. It's apples and oranges, 15 players on one uh, on one NBA team. Um, they've also eliminated six teams in the NBA to start the season. So I, it's, it's really interesting that they make that comparison because I don't think it's fair at all. But getting back to the NFL, I sent this on social media earlier today. The only way that they can succeed is by traveling the day of the game. They can't spend any time in hotels. You cannot spend any time on the road. You can't put anybody at risk. And if they're planning on flying in their players on Saturday night and staying in a local hotel, no matter how nice it is or no how matter how uh, clean it is, one player could ruin it for the whole team. So that's got to be a starting point. And I know some teams are considering it. It has to be done league-wide. Well, you keep breaking stories like you do on Twitter. You're a great follow, and hopefully things will get better in Florida really, really soon. You take care and you be safe. Well, thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. Drew, welcome back to A's Cast Live. And tonight, uh, always an interesting meeting. Uh, there's some great storylines for, for this series as a good start for the Rockies, a really good start for the Oakland Athletics. As we all know, it's not a marathon, it's a sprint. Yeah, there, there's a you know, heavy focus now on everything, uh, you know, given the obvious. You're playing 60 as opposed to 162. Uh, the A's are off to a good start, which... You know, they've always uh, had to kind of overcome slow starts in, in recent uh, history. But, you know, you guys know your club well. It's a very formidable club. And the Rockies pitched very well over the weekend. So I think it'll be a nice uh, a nice early season test uh, for both clubs. And, and we talked to Matt Chapman earlier today, and he admitted to us that, yeah, it feels different. It's like, yeah, we're in a pennant race. It's not like, you know, late March, early April. So we talk about it as broadcasters, but for sure the players are feeling the urgency. Yeah, they they have to. I mean, it's so common. We, we've all heard this, and, 
in talking to managers, whether it's a Buddy Black or Bob Melvin or, or any of the other 28 managers in baseball, when there's a player that's in a slump or a pitcher that's, you know, gone through a couple of rough outings and it's, you know, late April, early May, they, they, they always say, hey, easy, it's a long season, you know, we're going to let him, you know, work his way through it. You don't have the luxury this year of that. The managers know that. Certainly the front offices realize that. And the players, to your point, uh, recognize that uh, you can't have a, a, a prolonged slump. You cannot, uh, you know, take a, a game for granted. You have to find a way to get up for each and every one of them because, you know, a two or three game losing streak is magnified in this short season. You know, one of the early great stories of this season is what happened with you guys on Saturday and Daniel Bard, a, a guy that, you know, the Steve Blast, you know, just couldn't find a plate, throws hard, was dangerous on the mound, let go by multiple organizations, had, hasn't been the big leagues in seven years, and earns a win on Saturday. Just how special was that? Well, it, 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 was, it was marvelous to watch. It was a neat story going back to late February and early March that he was in camp and he was seemingly uh, throwing the baseball well there after a long absence. And then for him to not only continue that trend in the brief summer camp, but to go out in his first appearance in, in seven years, more than seven years, and to throw the baseball the way he did, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a tremendous story. It's a trend, tremendous testament to... Um, not only his perseverance, because I think sometimes guys can overcome physical ailments and, and sometimes it takes quite a while. I was, you know, reading about the Alex Smith situation with the, with the Washington uh, football team now. They've changed their name, right, or in limbo. But, you know, he went through 17 surgeries. He's been cleared to play again. We've seen that before, maybe not to that extreme with Smith. But to overcome the yips, it almost never happens. And not only that, it's not, oh, this is a nice story. He's going to work in, in middle relief and mop-up duty. He is being entrusted to uh, work high-leverage innings on the plus side, seventh, eighth. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in time uh, you'll see him in the ninth inning if, if necessary. His stuff is electric. He was up to 99 the other day. He threw 25 pitches. 20 were uh, were strikes. Um, he had an electric slider as well. So it, it's a great story, and, and it's not uh, gratuitous. I mean, he, he is legitimately uh, a back-end guy again. You know, I was watching this video of when he was struggling, and as hard as he throws, it was dangerous, hitting multiple guys and going up and in. And, I mean, he didn't know where it was going. What happened in all these years that really turned it around for him? Well, one of the things, when he finally shut it down, um, he eventually, I'm not going to give you the whole, you know, the whole story, you certainly can read about it, uh, but he, he became the mental skills coach, interestingly enough, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And, you know, just conversing with guys, he'd, he'd play catch. And, and some of the guys would say, you know, the ball's really coming out of your hand really well. And he had he had basically taken the, the the in reading what I what I have about his his process he just he, he took all the negative and eliminated it and and just focused on on being positive taking putting less pressure on uh, on outcome 
And whatever it did, it, it, it calmed his mind and he was able to implement it. I know sometimes it seems easier said than done. And for, for guys that have gone through that uh, ailment of not being able to throw the ball uh, as they've done their whole life, most guys can't overcome it. But he, he has. And, um, you know, again, it's a, it's a tremendous story. What we have going at third base in this series is truly amazing. We're just not talking gold gloves. We're talking multiple platinum gloves for both of these guys. They were high school teammates. Nolan Arenado was a senior playing shortstop. Matt Chapman was a sophomore, kind of moving all around the diamond, happy to be on varsity. Their families know each other. Their siblings know each other from El Toro High School. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun looking at two of the best defensive third basemen really to have ever lived. Um, yeah, I don't think that's an embellishment to say to make that statement. And that, too, is a nice uh, sidebar story. I, I think clearly, and, and this is not to disparage at all, uh, uh, what Matt Chapman's done, because Matt Chapman is a tremendous player. You know, Nolan's done it a few years longer. I, as I like to say on the air, Nolan's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. I mean, if he does, you know, literally probably three or four year, more years of what he's done, uh, you, you can probably write his ticket or stamp his ticket to the Hall of Fame. And Matt Chapman has obviously clearly similar ability. Uh, he hits the ball over the wall. He's, he's an absolute uh, amazing defensive player as, as is Nolan so yeah it's, it's going to be neat and knowing Nolan and I don't you guys know Chapman well I've, I've chatted with him just once or twice but um, they're, they're always ready to play that's how they're that's how their makeup is uh, but there's going to be a little extra juice for them because heck you know they did grow up uh, around each other they were high school teammates and, and I'm sure Nolan still wants to you know show that that you know he's the man if you will uh, but, uh, yeah, that's a great sidebar story as well. This offseason, I was so surprised, and I know we've talked to you about this before in the offseason, but I just want to know how is the relationship? Because when Arenado signs that contract, your face of the franchise, as you said, could be in the Hall of Fame someday. Then you retire his number. You put a statue outside of Coors Field. And then they weren't getting along. How is the relationship between the star player and the franchise right now? Well, I, I think so much has been obscured by, you know, this worldwide pandemic that we're all trying to navigate, specifically right now baseball is trying to navigate. Um, so when they reconvened, there wasn't much spoken about it. I, I believe this, and I said this, uh, you know, back in, in February and March, it, that winning cures everything. We've all been around sports long enough. Um, you know, sometimes there are rifts. Sometimes, uh, you know, there there are situations where, where guys, um, you know, have a, a situation. And when you win, everything kind of gets swept under the rug. You're talking about highly competitive people. Uh, naturally, we know the players who play are highly competitive. But guess what? The guys in the front office are highly competitive uh, as well. And, and I do think that, uh, you know, if the Rockies have the kind of season that they believe they can have, uh, that will be, you know, become a secondary type of uh, uh, situation in that it, it won't be spoken about uh, as much. And I think time also heals, uh, you know, heals things also. You know, in a 162-game season, I would not give the Rockies and I would not give the Padres and I would not give the Diamondbacks 
a shot at chasing down the Dodgers. But in 60 games where your warts won't be as, as exposed as much, you got to have the feeling. I mean, and, and now 16 teams, you're going to have eight going in for the National League. The Rockies have to have, believe they have a shot, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and the Rockies had this focus, again, going back to the original spring training, that, you know, number one, uh, and I think you guys feel this also, being a, being out in Oakland, you, you've typically been overshadowed by the Giants. And with, with the Rockies, you know, you're overshadowed by the Dodgers in the division. You're overshadowed by the major market teams. And, and people, that one, of the, one of the narratives, going back to your question about Nolan and, you know, his, his offseason and is he on the trading block? Uh, he has a rift with, you know, the general manager. Um, I look at it as this. People are saying, well, he wants to win. And I'm like, time out a second. In 17, the Rockies were a playoff team. In 18, they tied the Dodgers after 162 games for the division title. The Dodgers end up winning it in that one-game playoff. And then 19 was a bad year. All teams have bad years, typically, right? I mean, you have a couple, and then all of a sudden there's some injuries, and players don't play up to their normal standards. Next thing you know, you have a poor season. So two of the last three years in a, for a quote-unquote mid-market franchise, they're in the postseason. And, um, you know, I, I come back to that and I say this team believes and it was palpable going back to February and March that they're a postseason team and they're and they're highly motivated uh, to show the baseball world that they're really good again. And that last year was an aberration. You know, we go through the the, the exact same thing. You know, Billy Bean is technically the longest tenured executive as he was hired in 97. And then as the calendar turned right after that, Brian Cashman uh, was hired in 98. And other than a one game, they were behind one game. Basically Billy Bean would send the A's of the playoffs almost 11 out of 20 years. And people act like we have long, we don't have long stretches of losing streaks around here. Hasn't been like that in over 20 years. No, it's it again. You battle the same thing we do. It's perception versus reality. Um, it's it, it almost seems sometimes with uh, you know colleagues of ours that um, from a national perspective that twenty five franchises exist to be AAA affiliates and, and, uh, for the you know the four or five major. Uh, city clubs, you know, the Yankees, the Dodgers, we know who, you know, we don't have to identify them. And, uh, and, and sometimes when you do have some consistency in winning as Oakland has, the, the Rockies until last year, the last couple of years prior to that, it, it just kind of gets swept under the rug. And, and I know it's frustrating for those clubs and for people like, you know, you and me who follow the club on a, on a daily basis, you say, well, hold on a second, you know, don't misidentify, you know, who they are and what they're about and what their accomplishments are. Um, so, you know, we, you know, that, that is, it, listen, it's not going to change. It's the nature of the beast. Uh, you know, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Cubs are always going to get the, uh, the lion's share of the attention. Well, I know, you know, Rocky's bringing some very talented guys, Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story, so uh, Nolan Arenado. So I know it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's end on this. Just how great is it to deal with Bud Black on an everyday basis? Um, Buddy, Buddy is such a wonderful uh, person, and he's a, he's a really bright guy. 
and he is a charismatic guy, and he is a very humorous and witty guy. I One of the disappointing things among a whole long list for everybody out there, whether you work in baseball or not, um, for us as broadcasters, you know, the daily interactions with your manager, the daily interactions with players as you kind of do your homework on both sides. You know, if, if, if this were normal uh, right now, uh, you know, I'd be on the field and getting ready to, to watch batting practice and BS with, with uh, you know, some of your guys and some of our guys and visit with Bob Melvin and, and have your daily thing w- with Buddy. And there are so many times I, I try to, uh, I'm not saying this, uh, you know, because it's the right thing to say, but there's so many times, and I've been fortunate to do this for, for a good period of time, that I pinch myself and say, I, I love what I do, man. I love the game of baseball, and I, and I love, you know, being among the best uh, to do it in the game. And Buddy Black personifies that in, in every way. He's, uh, he's just a joy to be around. He's a heck of a manager on top of it. So uh, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that out. And I miss, I miss being able to, to literally talk to him every day. I know we have these zoom calls when I, Hey, when I can figure out how to get on the zoom call, then I see buddy a little bit. (laughs) We've actually been saying I've enjoyed it for post game because usually post game, you have a hard time hearing reporters and you just hear the answers of the players. But with the zoom, you get every question very clear. So I've actually enjoyed that. And by the way, I've told you this before. I really enjoy your guys broadcast as I'm going around on MLB.com and watching games that are still on that. You guys do a, a really nice job. And, and let's, and let's face it. If no one's ever been there, Coors Field is a gem. It's one of the most beautiful parks I've ever been there. So if the fact is you just got to go to Coors and work every day, that's not bad, too. No, we, we're really fortunate. They, they built, as you said, a gem of a ballpark. We're fortunate in that we live in one of the most beautiful places on Earth. And our weather is uh, – people don't know this, and I, I'm always hesitant to, to let people in other parts of the country know. Um, I never look at the weather. It's sunny every day. Uh, in, in Colorado, we have over 300 days of sunshine a year, and you know you have the mountains in the background, and they've done the upkeep on that stadium. I mean, you could you know you could eat dinner off the floor of that of the concourse, and, and believe it or not, now it's the third oldest stadium in the National League to uh, to Dodger Stadium, of course, Wrigley. Wow, that's crazy. Never thought about that, but uh, yeah, yeah it, isn't, that, uh, isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah, nobody nobody would nobody would you know generally realize that, but uh, it is. And I always recommend with these new ball, well, I I guess it's not a new ballpark anymore, but with with the great ballparks is take the tour as a fan. They'll show you the press box. They'll show you the clubhouses. They'll take you on the field. And I know there's like that city ordinance there where there's got to be X amount of art at the stadium. So there's a ton of art all around the stadium. The tour is fantastic. I've never actually taken the tour. So I guess I need to do that also, though I, I feel like I know it fairly well. Though the interesting thing is, you know, they built, and I don't know if you were there and you were able to go up, you know, to the, what is now the, you know, the upper deck where, where they reconfigured it in right field, which I, I'd say it's like the biggest, uh, you know, single scene, especially on the weekend, anywhere in Denver, um, the, you know, the, the party deck up, it's not the, it's not literally the party deck, but, um, I've only been up there, I think, one time. We were going to do a broadcast up there, and they had a shower go through, so they ran us back down to the uh, to the booth to finish the game. Uh, but there, there's a it's it's a great ballpark, and 
the fans pour out. Last year, we were sixth in Major League Baseball in attendance. The year before, we drew, we, we were just shy of three million last year. We were over three million the year before. So it's a great fan base. And um, yeah, if you're if you're listening in right now, and it, once we get back to normal, you're thinking about making a road trip. You got to cross. Uh, you got to cross Coors Field off definitely. You had me at party deck. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that's a fun place up there. Hey, Allegedly, always... I mean, I, I wouldn't know. I'm always, I'm always looking over there fondly. Guys, guys and gals are leaning, uh, leaning over the railing, about eight people deep, with, uh, with a cold beverage in their hand, taking in the ballpark and and other sights, shall we say? Well, enjoy the series. It's going to be a good one. Always great to chat with you. We'll be watching you on MLB.com. Be safe, and we'll talk soon. You, you got it. Anytime, man. Good luck to you guys. Matt, we always appreciate the time, and I know taking three or four from the Angels after all this talk this offseason about slow starts. You're not out, you know, you're not off to a slow start. How good was it to take three of four and do it from a division rival? It felt great to get those first three, uh, you know, win the series. Uh, I think that's going to be huge for us this season is, you know, we do have a lot of four-game series, and Two, two out of two just isn't going to cut it this year, you know, especially with how how uh, short the season is and how much pressure is on every game. So, you know, we're notorious for a little bit of a slow start, but taking three out of four feels really good, and I think we have a lot of room to improve as well. What has it been like this start? As you just mentioned right there, you know, the pressure right out of the gate, you're, you're in a pennant race already. How has this been different than the other years for you? It's, it's definitely a different with, uh, you know, obviously no fans in the stadium. Uh, a lot of the different protocols starting the season this late in the year. Hopefully it's starting the season this late. It's given us the late season mojo that we usually have, <laughs> but um, it, it's just been, uh, it's been, it's been weird. You know, you, you can prepare as much as you want for something like this, but when, until we get out there and start playing, it's hard to really know what it's going to be like. And we're trying not to put too much pressure on ourselves because we know that, hey, there is expanded playoffs. Uh, you know, all we got to do is get in. Um, but I, I know that that's not what our goal is. Our goal is to win this division. And I think that uh, jumping right into a playoff race is something that, you know, we all really enjoy. And hopefully, uh, you know, our team does well under pressure. So I think it's only going to help us. You know, now that I've been watching this and watching what's going on with the league, and obviously we know what's happened with the Marlins. When people have said that, oh, there should be an asterisk for this season, I'm like, uh, I'm turning the other way. This might be the toughest World Series to ever win because of the pandemic, because of the craziness, because you're going to have 16 teams. You got to go through more people than ever. I'm not buying the asterisk. What do you think? This might be the toughest championship ever to win. Yeah. If if it if not the toughest, it's up there for sure because – you know, you, you, you said it, the, the virus, this has been a crazy year. 2020 has been uh, definitely a year nobody could predict and everybody's had to deal with their things uh, no matter what it is. Um, also expanded playoffs, more teams in the playoffs, uh, more games you have to win to win a world series. And to say that there's an asterisk, I don't think it's fair because you know, everybody put their work in, everybody kept working hard through the quarantine. And, you know, that's the way life goes. Sometimes it's not going to be a perfect season, but you know, if we're, if this thing doesn't count, why would we be playing it? You know, that's what I think. And we're playing it. We're here, we're showing up. 
and everybody's working hard for the same goals. It feels real to me. So uh, I think that there's no asterisks and it's going to be whoever wins that thing at the end of the year is going to hold it proud. You know, that's the one thing that I say about you on our show all the time is that as much as everybody wants to get three, four hits a game and hit a home run, you come to the ballpark every day, not about your statistics. You come to win. And I remember, like, you didn't have the greatest day at the plate, and no one was more happy for Mike Fires throwing that no-no. Talk about for you, it's not about statistics. You come to win. Definitely. I mean, it's something that you uh, you have to um, manage for sure because, obviously, everybody wants to get their, <laughs> get theirs. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, if you focus on winning and you focus on what you can control, uh, and that's, you know, preparing yourself as best you can to have success and help the team win. And I guess it helps that, uh, you know, defensively I can help out. So it's not always one-sided with offense, but yeah, for, for me, you know, I feel like we're a team and we're a family and, you know, we put all this work in together and uh, it's about winning a world series. That's what you, that's when you're a little kid and you, you know, when you're growing up, that's what you think about is winning. You don't think about, you know, the personal statistics. I think if, uh, if you take care of uh, going out there and giving it everything you got to win, the other stuff falls in place. And that's not to say that, you know, I don't care about, you know, what I do. Obviously I do. And uh, it still weighs on me, but, you know, I think that uh, at the end of the day, if we win the game, I can, I can go home happy about that. You know, people talk about chemistry and you guys got a three headed monster in that infield and you guys know each other so well that you don't have to verbally, you just guys know each other. And I think, you know, here you are, extra innings. We've never had a guy on second base to start extra innings. It's history. I mean, it's going to be a trivia question someday. Uh, What was the first one? And to think the play Olsen made, and then he won Hopsha, and you pick it. It's But it's the communication you guys don't have to verbally have it. You guys just know mentally. What is that like, the chemistry between you, Marcus, and Olsen? It's great. It's nice to be able to, you know, have now. You know, I played with Olsen in the minor leagues, so me and him have been playing together for like five years. And then to have Marcus now is our fourth year together. Um, it's just it's nice to have that kind of comfortability with the guys. You know, we just kind of give each other a look and it's like, hey, I'm coming over here. And we, we know how to space each other out, you know, where to be in certain situations. So it's nice to to be that comfortable with each other. And uh, the 10th inning thing with me and Olsen, uh, it's something we've been talking about for a while. Me and him always like mess around with like different kind of plays and like talk talk to each other about certain scenarios and what can happen. And Olsen's, you know, he's pretty ridiculous over there at first base. So there's nothing that is hit his way that I don't think he can't do. So he, we knew that, uh, you know, Walsh was coming up there in that situation, obviously trying to get the runner uh, Otani over to third base. Uh, so he, naturally he's trying to pull the ball. And so I, that allowed me to cheat over towards third base a little bit because I didn't really feel like the ball was coming my way. And if it was, it might be a pop-up cause he missed it. But Olsen, uh, he kind of gave me the look and I, I knew what he meant when he looked at me. It was just like, hey, let's if the ball gets hit hard to me right here, let's throw him out at third. Let's do that play. So we work on it sometimes where it's either a hot shot or a bunt when he tries to come to third and catch the guy off guard. So I think that's going to come into play big time this year with the rules. Um, it's definitely uh, going to take some getting used to having a runner start off at second base. But, you know, for 
I really thought that uh, that would kind of bother me, but I didn't really mind it. It was kind of interesting and made things exciting. So, I mean, it's uh, definitely placed to our advantage if we could play fundamental defense. Yeah, the first time it ever happens, you immediately nullify the guy, which was really, really cool. And like I said, that's going to be a trivia question someday. And, you know, when we talked to you at spring training, you mentioned, like, I'm like the earliest ever to win two platinum gloves. You can fact check me. We fact checked you. You are correct. You are the youngest guy to win two. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's uh... – I might have been talking out of my butt a little bit there, but uh, I mean, I, at least I got the facts to back it up. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, your high school teammates coming to town. He's got seven. Yeah. You got two. You both went to El Toro High School in Lake Forest, California. Was he's he? A got, senior? He's got seven gold gloves. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, he's got seven. Was he a senior and you were a sophomore? Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, Man, that's crazy. Seven gold gloves, three platinum gloves, huh? Yeah, he's had a pretty good career. Not too shabby. <laughs> Who played what? He played. Did he play short and you played third? Uh, he played shortstop. I played a little bit of third, a little bit of second. Shortstop when maybe he got pulled out of the game for throwing his helmet or something. DH'd a little bit. I pretty much just played wherever they'd let me. But I, uh, I was pretty underdeveloped for being 15 years old so i was uh i was just happy to be there and nolan was uh obviously doing big things already at that age so to be able to go from there and now geez that's uh 12 years later we're here i mean if you take it even further back me and him played against each other in little league one time in the championship game of like uh called like the tournament of champions like like a playoffs for little league teams and both of our teams made it from our little league and we ended up facing each other in the finals and I was like nine and he was 12 and his team won but it's crazy to think that we were playing against each other you know that long ago and now it's almost like you know 18 years later we're playing against each other tonight yeah I mean what 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 do you think that's gonna be like like like, let's say you hit a triple and you're like standing there and you're like, I mean, you're high school teammates, man. It's crazy. I know it's a trip, you know, and uh, our, our families obviously know each other pretty well. Um, and his little brother's friends with my sister. So we got a, and his older brother is friends with our family. So we're pretty close with them and uh, it'll be, it'll be fun to play against Nolan. I know he, uh, how competitive he is and I know he's going to want to uh, get the best of me. So I got to, I got to try to one up him. You know, let's end on this. You know, the bottom line is we're probably not going to see a whole lot of innings anytime soon from starting pitchers. So that's going to put a lot on the bullpen. And you think in 20 and a third innings, your bullpen's only given up one earned run. The ERA for the for the bullpen is 0.44. Talk about all these guys coming out of the bullpen and just how how impressive they have been for you guys. Uh, they've been very impressive to come out of the gates hot like that and pick us up, especially in some situations where, Hey, you know, we've, we've brought guys in in tough spots to get out guys. And when you're facing a lineup like the angels, there's really no let up. Uh, they got guys that can handle the bat. They got guys that have power. Um, they got everything, you know, they're, they were, they were missing Rendon, but I mean, David Fletcher fills that role really well. I mean, he's hitting. 600 against us his batting average against us is probably 800 
<laughs> he doesn't get out against us. But so they they have a ton of guys. They're a great team. I mean, when you got Mike Trout, Otani, Pujols, Rendon, I mean, the Upton, that's a that's a legit team. And they got so for our bullpen to come in there and you know keep those guys off balance and shut the door like that, that was huge. Um, and I you know I know sometimes at the beginning of the year it's hard to you know jump right into a season and be dialed in, but these guys. They've been taking their work seriously, and we got a good group of guys, and they're uh, they all pick each other up, and they they know what their role is, and when they come into the game, they know how they're going to attack guys. So their preparation has definitely paid off. You know, it's cool about that when you say, "Oh, they got Trout and they got Otani." That's what people are saying about you guys. They got Chapman, they got Olson, they got Simeon, they got Canna, they got Loriano. Hey, this Murphy kid behind the dish can hit the ball five hundred feet. That's what other teams are now saying about you guys. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. We, uh, you know, we, we don't think of, of ourselves like that, which is probably a good thing. Um, but, you know, I, I know, uh, you know, we're getting past that point of being young kids in this league and now it's kind of our time to, you know, we need to put, make our mark. So I think, uh, pretty cool to be, uh, to see where we started and where we're at now. And I think it's just, uh, because of all the hard work we've put in as a team and the coaches of, uh, given us a lot of opportunities to get better and really worked with us. So uh, I think it's just a good combination of just a good group top to bottom throughout this organization. And hopefully, uh, you know, this uh, three and three and one start is just a foreshadowing of what this season holds for us. We always appreciate the time. Be safe, keep winning, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Ray, how are you? Tony, I'm doing well. How are you and Cody doing? We are, we, we are hanging in there. Just happy to have a little baseball back. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, we are social distancing in our TV booth as we've talked before. So I came to my little uh, office that I have in the X room. And so I could have some peace and quiet because the loud loudness of the PA system, it's just overbearing. So I wanted to make sure this was crisp and uh, got good connection, I assume. So we should be okay. Well, uh, yeah, you, you, you sound great. And Ray, I got to thank, uh, you got to be thrilled coming out of uh, a four game set with Anaheim where you take three out of four. So not only do you get off to that good start, like you talk about, but you also do it in division. You know, that's a good point, Tony, because uh, with Rendon out for the four games, he was the big signee during the off season. He did not play in the four games. David Fletcher was a nemesis and, you know, yesterday, it, it just kept coming down to the big boys coming up with a couple of runners on base, and the game ended with Trout at the plate striking out with two runners on base. And there was always that fear that he or Pujols, even Upton, but, you know, more than anything with Pujols and, and Trout because it hit so many home runs, especially here at the Coliseum against the Athletics, you were concerned about them coming up with the tying run at the plate. Fortunately, the A's bullpen has been just outstanding, and I, I think, all the credit goes to the way Bob Melvin and Scott Emerson have, have maneuvered the bullpen to bring them in 
and the starters are not going deep in the game, which is understandable because the pitch counts may be not built up, and, but the bullpen has been spectacular. I think the credit goes to them for the three wins so far against a very good team, the Angels. And, Tony, one thing I'm sure you guys, you noticed that Joe Madden, you had hit and run, you had some bunting, you had uh, stolen bases. You know, Joe Madden said the offseason, and this was before the shortened season occurred. He said he's going to play his normal style of baseball, which is that way, and try to manufacture runs. But also, he has the power in the lineup, but you cannot always expect to hit a home run. Now, Trout did it against Mike Fires on Saturday, uh, Sunday, that is. But, but bottom line, you know, you really can't sit around and wait for that. So uh, I think it was a great job done by the bullpen. And again, bringing the guys in and up. You know, the surprise for me, Tony, and, and maybe you and Cody noticed as well, when Petit came in, it was to get out of a jam. You know, he's capable of pitching two or three innings, but Bob Melvin had it set up where he would have him get out of a tough situation and then have somebody else come in to start the next inning. Now, whether or not that was because of the three-batter rule or what, but uh, Petit did a spectacular job himself just getting out of the messes. You remember when Ryan Dole was here and he was called the janitor by the skipper because <laughs> he, seemed, he seemed to clean up the messes? Well, you know, he's no longer here, but Petit has done exactly that since he's been with the ball club. So it's a great bullpen. Uh, you know, guys are, are coming in, doing the job. I was happy to see Liam Hendricks be able to come back on Sunday to pick up the save after blowing it on Friday night. But, you know, all good things for the athletics in the four games. Just have to hope that it continues that way and hope that baseball continues in light of what has happened with the uh, Florida Marlins. Yeah, you knew Bert Smith would uh, come in and uh, lead the athletics in victories, right? <laughs> sure. Sure we did. Of course. Yeah, no. That, that, that is, no, that, that's, that's unexpected. But, you know, we've talked again how the bullpen is going to have to factor in and maybe you're going to get a Cy Young Award winner or an MVP out of the bullpen simply because they're going to be called upon maybe all 60 games, but definitely in the early part of this abbreviated season, you're going to see the bullpens come in and do that. And it's just a matter of when they score a run. And uh, it's, it's really, uh, it has to be, uh, except for Friday night, when Smith was in and, and uh, only had the, the walk-off grand slam. But the last two games, you're looking at the official scores determination as who gets the win. And I think that's where it really becomes critical for the official score. And in the case of Petit doing his job and Smith doing his job, they both get victories. And, uh, you know, it, it's, just a, it's just a good way to start the season. You know, and, and I think, and I heard you talk about everybody's either two and one, one and two, in the case of some clubs that started out playing four games on Thursday, the two teams, you know, they had a different record. But, you know, the parity and maybe just the fact that it's an abbreviated season, it kind of shows what this sprint is going to be like. And I, I think we're experiencing but couldn't be happy for the A's to get off the good start. They just have to continue because the Rockies are in town for two games. They're a good ball club. Then they go, A's go up in Seattle before they come back. So it's going to be a tough schedule. You cannot take anybody lightly especially in this type of a season. Even the Orioles are playing well, and nobody expected them to, but who knows? They could get the postseason just based on 60 games. Well, that you know, that's the thing, Ray, is like each team could, could look around and say, you know what, we may stink in 162 games. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like back in the day, you talk about your Indian teams, you knew you guys had no chance, but in 60 games, you could look around and go, hey, all we got to do is get out for a hot start and we're in this thing. Look at the Seattle Mariners. I keep, I keep talking about the Mariners from 2019. 
The A's could not beat them. They split in Tokyo. They came back. You know, they just could not do anything against the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners, Mariners probably were feeling like we did in Cleveland, getting off to this great start, and then reality sets in, and you end up being in the last place at the end of the season. But uh, 60 games is totally different. Get off to a good start and maintain that. And, you know, you've said it, and I agree with you, and especially in light of what's happening to the Marlins. Again, uh, Fultonavich was uh, uh, designated for assignment. Uh, you know, he's going to find a home probably. And by August 31st, you're going to see teams that are going to be either in it or not in it. And you're going to see some moves made based on just trying to get somebody that maybe help them the final 30 games in September or whatever it is in September and, and carry them into postseason. You know, the big question for me about the Marlins is, are they an outlier or yeah. are we going to see this with other teams? Because there's 29 other teams that are doing well. And that's where I wish more people would be, would investigate and not just be spreading so much panic, you know, because whoever got it and spread it, got it while they, this was in summer camp or spring training 2.0. Because the guys who came to summer camp and had it, i.e. Glassnow, Lazardo, a couple of guys, they were quarantined, they yeah. recovered, and they're already pitching. So the fact yeah. that guys are getting it right now, somewhere between Tampa, Atlanta, and Philadelphia, did one or two guys get it, either unlucky or were they not following protocols? Where were they going? What were they doing? So that that's what I want to find out before everybody starts spreading the panic everywhere. And you know what? I'll take it back. If all of a sudden this is like five teams have that, but there's just something I mean, as a journalist, you got to look at it. You know, there's 20, there's 29 other teams that feel like they're doing a good job. Why did this happen to the Marlins? The commissioner said exactly what you just said last night in an interview with Tom Verducci. He said the same thing because don't want panic to sit in because they had over 6,000 tests, uh, tests, what, since uh, Friday the 24th when basically everybody was playing. And it, I don't know that the test results or how few or whatever, but it was minuscule. But I agree with you. How or why all of a sudden did this one team have this number and nobody else has? And I think that's why the commissioner said, let's not panic, just as you said, and, and let's find out what happened to the Marlins during that period of time. But, you know, the key is, and I, I agree with all these players, just like Matt Olson yesterday. He saw what happened with the Marlins. What did he do? He put on a mask when somebody got at first base because he was in close proximity. Uh, so even at that point, he was two or three feet off the bag and same with Albert Pujols playing at first base. So guys are taking precautions. Uh, Mike Trout got on base and he called timeout to put on a mask and put on his, his oven mitt. So he took a little bit extra time, but he was not going to be on the base paths, especially close at first base with Matt Olson and the umpire, even the first base coach. He wanted to protect himself. And that's what he did. And, and it sure slows down the game, but who cares? You know, you, yeah. you take precautions. And I think that's the biggest thing. But, uh, you know, I saw Brian Butterfield, third base coach for the, uh, for the Angels. As he came in after the half inning, he would stop about 20 feet from the dugout, put it, pull his mask out, put it on before he went in the dugout. So he was thinking about it. And I, I think that's what you have to do. And I think that's what is happening around baseball. Uh, with the majority of players, and obviously the majority of the teams, they are doing it, placing themselves, and I think that's something that has to be looked at 
and what these players are doing as they go forward. But I agree 100%, going back to your original statement, they need to find out what happened to Marlins. Now, apparently there was somebody uh, who contracted it and showed up positive. He said, yeah, I'm, I went to a birthday party. Well, you go to a birthday party, you know, what are you doing? And you're not, well, I don't know what they do, but obviously he admitted, and it was a player who came in and, and tested positive, and he said, I was at a birthday party. Well, fortunately, it sounded like this was during the summer camp that he got tested, tested positive. They quarantined him until he, he, he t- tested negative for back-to-back days or whatever. But, but, you know, they just really have to realize that this is 60 games and postseason. It's, it's, a, it's an anomaly. It, it's something that's out of the ordinary. You have to play it like it is, and then hopefully, God willing, go forward and everything back to normal. But right now, you really have to be disciplined and make sure that how many how many guys have you heard Tony, where their families have stayed home and they're here playing themselves because they did not want to take a chance, especially the, the families that with children. They, they wanted to make sure that when they travel, when they're at their ballpark, they didn't want to go back to their house or wherever they're staying and take the chance of, uh, of their children or our family's wife getting it, whatever. So it's all about discipline. And I think the A's are doing a very good job of that. They're policing themselves. Just like you police, we used to police ourselves around the batting case, taking batting practice. Now it's a different story because you have to do it on the field, but you also, more importantly, have to do it off the field. And I think from what we're seeing with the athletics, at least, they're doing their job. And and if you're going to take, I mean, there's not really a positive to take here, but just kind of a warning sign for anybody who was thinking of, about letting down. You know, the other 29 teams need to look at what's happened with the Marlins and say, guys, you know, Matt Olson, it's a walk off home run. We can't all run up and, and, and touch him. Yeah. You know, you guys got to, they've given us the protocols. We have to abide by the protocols at all times on and off the field. And Tony, that's a great point again, because, you know, you get caught up in the moment and, you know, you see guys when they hit home runs, they give the, the air high five and air elbow or whatever, but you have to remember And we had a shot in the dugout on Friday night they were not social distancing. I mean, it it seemed like it was just a normal game. Everybody sitting close together. They had those X's there for a reason in both dugouts and you know, they were, they were not following, but, but you know, you get caught up in the moment, but you really have to think twice about it because this can happen. Now let's, let's fast forward, Tony. There, there've been some talk about, let's say it's on a percentage basis of how many games you play and based on how many uh, wins you have and losses is a percentage thing. I think from what I'm hearing, and I hope it's true, that let's say the Yankees and, and um, well, the Yankees and Phillies and the Marlins and the Orioles losing games, make them up. Play double headers. You know, let, let's have a level playing field where everybody has the same number of games instead of maybe a team not playing seven or eight and dropping their total down to 52-53 versus a team that plays the full 60. And if it's by percentage, you know, make them play. If, if they – if they had that many tests positive, there is a reason, and I assume there's a reason, but I still don't think you have those a throwaway games. Just make them up on an off day, on a doubleheader, do something to make them up. So you try to have at least at the end of September, well, September 27th, the final day of the regular season, that most, if not all, teams have the same number of games played. Ray, how could you ask anybody to play two games in one day? <laughs> well, you just won't see a catcher play. Well, you know, they have the players. They have the players to do it. And, and come on, you know, if, if – uh, come on. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe a catcher won't catch two games, but a doubleheader. And listen, there's a reason there are no doubleheaders anymore is because of the gates. You know, hey, the O2 for one, you know, let's go watch two games for the price of one. That doesn't happen anymore. You know that. But I, I think, again, under these circumstances, you have to make some some changes, adapt to the situation. And if it means you're playing two games, if it means that you're flying someplace and you stop in and play a game that you miss or two games that you missed in a doubleheader, why not? Come on. I mean, you're only playing 60 games max anyway. So it's not like you're playing a full season. So 60 games, that's nothing. And, and, and I, I didn't know it, and I, I don't pat myself on the back, don't like to, but, you know, to start the first 50 games of the 1973 season, I started all 50, you know. So I didn't want an off day, and Dick Williams made sure I didn't get one. I was very happy because the only way you can produce, especially offensively and defensively, is if you play every day. Look at Marcus Simeon, just how great he has played on both sides of the baseball. He's had, what, a 247, 248 consecutive games. You know, he doesn't have to look at the lineup, just comes in, gets ready to play and plays the game, knowing that he's going to be in the leadoff spot, as it turns out, and he's going to play the game. That makes you a better player when you play every day because you can feel good about going – Not well, I'm not saying you're going to feel good about going over 4, but if you do, you don't have to worry about looking over your shoulder and saying, uh-oh, I went over 4, am I in the lineup the next day? Marcus Simeon doesn't have to. And the same with Cal Rickman Jr. when he had his long streak. Anybody that plays every day will tell you it's much easier to play the game. So play the game, play 60, however you're going to do it, play 60 and let's get on with it in August and September because the month of July is coming to a very, very close, a quick close this weekend. And then we're going to get in August and September and, you know, but I can't wait till August 31st, like you talked about Saturday to see what clubs are going to be doing at that period of time. Ray, you're in your seventies and you want to broadcast every game. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I was checking the uh, the schedule that Matt Brill put out, and I'm hopeful that he missed the game. Uh, you know, I, I'm on there doing nothing. I've got to talk to him, see if he revised the schedule, because I'm going to tell him I'm going to work anyway. You know, so, yeah, th th that's it. You, you work every day because, you know, whether you're playing and you try to produce, or in my case as a broadcaster, I don't want to miss something. You know, we're missing something now because we can't go on the field. We can't go in the clubhouse. We can't talk to anybody. I had to yell at Mike Gallego yesterday from the broadcast booth. And Mike Trout on, uh, I think it was Saturday, looked up and gave me a five. You know, I said, how you doing and all that. But, you know, that's the tough part because you'd like to get downstairs and talk to people because you pick up stuff that, in my case, you know, or anybody in broadcasting can use in broadcast. I know Vince, uh, Vince Catronio talks about the same thing, Ken Corey. You know, we, we all do the same thing. Glenn Kuyper, Dallas Braden. But we can't do it. We're tier three, which means we have to stay in the press box. But that's the tough part of being able to do these games. So, yeah, I want to do all 60. I don't want to miss something because maybe you're going to see something in a game just like Friday night. Just think I wasn't doing that game, Townie. And for the first time in the history of baseball, the 10th inning came around, the runner started the second. <laughs> you know? I mean, how strange was that? And to miss that, being here personally and missing that, that would have been very upsetting because you would never have seen it firsthand. But fortunately, I got a chance to. I bet when people thought, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put a runner on second for every team in extra innings. And the first time it happens, I guarantee you the people who are implementing this and coming out with it had no idea that, huh, the ball's going to be hit to the first baseman. 
First baseman's <laughs> going to throw it to the third baseman, and they're going to nullify the run on the very first time. They're going to nullify the runner, I should say, on the very first time they ever imp- implement it. Isn't that great? I mean, that's such a heads-up play. And, and I know uh, both Matt Olson and Matt Chapman had talked about it during the offseason. But you know what? It, it's different. It, you, you have to know, if you're at second, how hard is the ball hit to the right side? And you have to be well aware of that. And I think Otani got about halfway and realized, uh-oh, ball was hit hard. They're coming to third base. But, you know, it was hit hard by Walsh. And sure, Matt Olson made a sharp play, quick play, and threw to, to Matt Chapman. And, you know, from only to Chapman, two gold glovers, a platinum and a gold glove, they get the out. And that was huge. And, uh, you know, as, as it turned out, they ended up getting the bases loaded and intentionally want Mike Trout to get to Otani and, and strike him out. But, you know, the, all those things uh, – you know, it, 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 it is strange, but, you know, I've been in that situation where you assume, and that's a hard word to even use in baseball, you cannot assume anything because as soon as you do, you think about ball hits the right side, it's easy, they're going to get the sure out of first base. Be careful because their mind, in their mind, if they're smart, and obviously Matt Olson was smart enough to realize how hard the ball was hit, he's got an accurate throw, accurate arm to third base. Matt Chapman was, was there waiting for it. They get Otani in a rundown. All of a sudden, just like you said, here's this new rule, and you've got the runner at second base already eliminated. And you notice that Joe Madden, they, that, that's the case too, I think, Tony, where you have the visiting team needs to try to score as many runs as possible because you play for one run, then the team, the home team in this case, you know, they get one, they tie, and they go back to the 11th, and uh, here we go again. Or score two, and the game is over. But in the case of the Angels didn't score, all the A's needed was one. They ended up getting the four in the grand slam. But I agree with you that that probably uh, for the uh, – was it on Saturday? There were four, t- four t- uh, games that ended up being in a tie. But of the five total counting the A's on Friday, not one game went beyond 10 innings. So from that standpoint, there was not an extension of the game. You didn't have to worry about position players pitching. And you were able to have a little excitement in the game, especially in strategy with the runner starting at second base. Yeah, for a post-game show host, it's a dream to make sure all these games <laughs> end in 10. By the way, Fosse, I have an update on your schedule. Are you ready? Yes, sir. You're working that game. Oh, good. I'm Matt glad. Pearl, Matt, Matt, Matt Pearl texted us, uh, you're working that game. Well, good. I was, I was going to text him or call him and say, because there was a game um, – there was a possibility that we might televise the second game against the Giants. We did not. So that did not put me on the schedule. So um, I did call him and he said, no, there was a revised schedule. And I was on it. So evidently there's a, a the revised have me, has me on this one. So I'm glad you told me. I want to work all of them. Definitely. Definitely want to work all of them. Or I was going to invite you to my house and you could have done it from my house. <laughs> no, sir. No, I'll, I'll be here. And uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's different obviously with no fans in the stands and, you know, you mentioned uh, before we came on about uh, so many day games. Day games at the Coliseum are so special, and that's what is missed by these fans not being able to come out because to look down and see families and seeing the, the, the tailgating of the parking lot coming in, I mean, I'm talking early because I normally get to the park early anyway, but to see people tailgating and then to come in the park once the gates open and you see the fans there. And, you know, it takes me back to my, my younger days when I would go to St. Louis and watch the Cardinals play. And, and be able to sit in the seats and watch batting practice. And that's when they actually took infield practice. That was a lot of fun. But, you know, that is missed now. And I'm sure the fans are missing that. But 
we're going to get back to normal. Fans are going to be able to come out and watch baseball, watch their favorite team play, and I think it's going to be great when they do. But, man, you know, no football, so Playwood has a field just immaculate, and uh, it, it's, it's really fun to be here and to see this team play and start out as well as they have. Uh, Ray, please tell me the Charlie O donkey cutout is your favorite. <laughs> it, it's, that, now that's behind the visiting uh, visiting team, right? Behind yeah, the visiting dugout. Can you imagine you're this young visiting <laughs> pitcher, and you're turning around, and you're looking at this mule, and you're going, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> well, Ty brought it up the other night when we showed it, and he was correct. At Americana Hotel in New York in the '73 World Series. And, and I told you before, here's Charlie O the Mule with a stable right in the Americana Hotel lobby right there. And people, what is going on with this mule in the lobby? Well, the Oakland A's were in town. And Charlie, <laughs> Charlie made sure that that mule – and, you know, think about it, Tony. He was uh, he was stabled here in the Bay Area. So Charlie put him on a flight to send him to New York for the World Series, games three, four, and five against the Mets. So you think about that. Uh, and, and Charlie O'Neill was taken care of quite well, but, uh, uh, yeah, it, it was, um, that was, that was pretty unbelievable to see him, but you know, it, the cardboard cutouts, while it's great to have them there, um, it, it's still just not the same. I, I read today that someone actually had their cutout hit. Was it a foul ball? And so they get, they get an autographed baseball or something like that. So, you know, Dave Cavill, the president in, in you know, the, the front office, Matt Pearl, guys are doing things to at least make it interesting because I, I think the fact that the money's going to charity, and uh, uh, I think that's a good point. Tony, did I ever tell you about the Angels, uh, when Angels in the Outfield was filmed here at the Coliseum? Speaking of, like, Charlie O'Neill, the young player, did I ever tell that story? Because it was so great when the Angels came in in September, they had the September call-ups. They were getting the visiting clubhouse ready for the movie Angels in the Outfield. So they had this entire Mikey Thalblum's clubhouse all set up just like it was the Angels clubhouse. So these young players getting the September call-ups walked in and said, wow, do they do this in every park? With that <laughs> but, but, uh, but the movie was filmed here, even though it's the Angels, but that was the most unbelievable thing that I've seen. But, but I agree with you having the, the Charlie or the mule behind the dugout of the visiting players. I think that is tremendous. Great, great location for him. I'm glad he's positioned there versus the home side because it wouldn't have the same impact if it's on the home side, but on the visiting side. Yeah. Look around. And you know, usually, and what we've seen or saw in the four games, the starting pitchers are gathered in the tent behind the, the dugout. And which is good because they're not going to play. They're not going to be in the game. You got four of them. Why take up space in the dugout where they can be there and, and, and give the space to the players who are either on the field or maybe a position player who might be going into a game. And it's, they're all together. They can talk the game. They can talk pitching. But they're not in the dugout taking up some space. So I think that's been uh, admirable for both sides. You know, we saw with the Angels the same way. And how about with the – somebody decorated the A's fans with angel gear, you know, with the uh, angel stuff during the uh, – down by behind the Angels dugout. So, you know, it, it's kind of making it creative in a sense. Uh, but it still doesn't really make up for the, the lack of fans being here, especially on those beautiful day games that you're talking about. And the question that you ask about why so many day games, the A's have always accommodated the visiting team on travel day so they don't get in late. That is the biggest thing. And I, I'm happy that the A's are doing that. I'm disappointed 
that other teams don't follow suit. And if, and if I were, you asked me several weeks ago, if I were commissioner, what I would do, well, I'm going to add to that. I would insist that every getaway game be a day game so you don't have teams traveling to the next city getting in at 3 or 4 in the morning. And sometimes that's what happens, especially in the case of the A's who go east. All right, Ray, I'll see you in the pregame. Sounny, you're best. Cody, I know you're there. I know you're getting it all set up. So congratulations, both of you, doing great jobs. And I'm, I'm glad you told me I'm working that game so I can mark it down. See you, Ray. Take care, buddy. God, how are you? Good, Chris. How are you, my friend? Uh, we, we are doing well. Uh, what, what's it like there in Southern California? Sorry about that. I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm out on the run. I'm at a store, and I was trying to just pull my mask off so I could talk, and my earbud got caught in my mask. That is something I never expected before 2020 to ever have to mention or even happen to me. Um, uh, things are fine down in San Diego. The Padres are an interesting team this year. Uh, it's good to have baseball back. Uh, I've seen a little bit of the A's, a lot of interesting stuff. I hope we can keep going. No doubt about it. And and, and the thing that bothers me is everybody wants to do doom and gloom. Is, right. and, I think, and I think Stan Caston was right with the Dodgers. We said, we knew all along that there are going to be some players that test positive. Uh, but, but the Marlins, what disturbs me, and I don't know if it's really coming out yet, is, is the fact that, they go to Atlanta for basically, well, I guess we'll call it preseason games. And a couple of their players went out partying and they caught COVID and brought it back to the, basically their bubble. What do we know about that? Well, we don't know a ton of details, but we do know baseball is not happy. They, they found that some protocols were broken, whether the Marlins were down in their hotel bar or whatever it was. And, and, and baseball's, you know, they're dealing with, not just trying to keep players healthy, which obviously is the number one concern, but they're also, uh, you know, they're trying to, um, uh, you know, they're dealing with public health officials, um, you know, in each city, Philadelphia, for example, where the Marlins tested positive for COVID and they shut Citizens Bank Park down. They canceled the Phillies games this week. I mean, you know, it's not just baseball saying, hey, we're going to play. I mean, to play, they've got to have public health officials be on board. And when, all these games are on TV and public health officials are like the rest of us. They're watching as well. And when they're saying, seeing social distancing, not being followed, when they're seeing players high five and do some stuff they're not supposed to be doing. And then when they hear reports like what happened with the Marlins and then, uh, from there, they, they, uh, they go, um, you know, we see an outbreak with the Marlins and guys test positive. You know, baseball's getting a lot of pressure from public health officials saying, hey, you know, we, we, we signed off on you guys playing and, and we signed off on you, you guys gathering as groups as a team and, and in your local ballparks. But that was with the agreement. Everybody followed the rules. So that that's right now. Baseball's not just trying to keep the game on the field and keep the players safe and keep COVID out of the game. Um, but, the, you know, they're having to answer to public health officials as well. You know, I was very impressed by the Colorado Rockies. And from the standpoint of here is a team during a pandemic, they start their season in the two hot spots in our country, Texas and California. And they go down, win two out of three from the Rangers. They come here to Oakland. They win the two games. They start out four and one. And I'm like, like trying to tell our fan base, I'm like, 
that's a really big deal to start on. You start on the road during a pandemic and you're four and one. That kind of shows you, you know, we always talk about the Rockies away from Coors Field. To me, that shows some serious toughness and how good their pitching has been. Oh, it does. No, no question about it. You know, I mean, it, and I knew we all knew it was going to help having Sean Manea back healthy for a full season again. But, you know, I mean, we haven't even seen Jesus Luzardo in the rotation yet. And I know, you know, there's a lot of thought that, you know, he, he's going to eventually, uh, you know, be there. And um, I, I think, you know, based on that and some other things, I think the Oakland rotation is only going to get better. This is a really, really good team with a really, really serious chance to win this year. Yeah, we uh, we're expecting big things, but the but 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 it's all about a hot start right now, right? There's 54. I mean, it's crazy to think, Scott. There's only 54 games left. It, this is such a sprint. This is like nothing we've ever seen before. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like what each game is is worth 2.7 games in a regular schedule, regular season. Um, and I know that number gets adjusted down a little bit because there are extra playoff slots this year. So we're not talking about a normal MLB season anyway, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, uh, with only 60 games, I mean, somebody said the other day and I, you know, you forget about this, but, uh, uh, you know, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to hit the 10 game mark here in a few days and that's going to be a one sixth of the season already gone. And we barely started. When you look at the situation with Joe Kelly getting suspended, um, I understand he wasn't with the Astros, but of course he was with the Red Sox in 2018. There is still such a bad taste for so many players about the Astros who basically got away with it and they were allowed to, they got immunity and they were allowed to say what they wanted to say and they didn't get punished. Um, Joe Kelly got hit pretty hard with his suspension. How do you feel, you know, there's going to be some type of justice among players. That's the way, just the way baseball yeah. works. Uh, how, yeah. how, did you, how did you feel about that? Well, I thought the suspension was a little bit harsh. I mean, eight games, again, doing fractional work over a 60-game season. Eight-game suspension, you know, we're talking 13% roughly of the season, a little bit over 13%. That's a long suspension. That's like a 22-game suspension over 162. Uh, I thought that was a little harsh. Where I come down on Joe Kelly, uh, two different things. I really like what he did because, you know, there is going to be justice among players. I like the passion. The one thing I didn't like that I think he should have done better is don't, you can't be throwing up at guys' heads. It's just too dangerous. If you're going to do that, you've got to aim right around the middle of the body, the belt on down. You know, and, and, and veteran pitchers that have done this know they can tell you you throw, you know, a little bit behind the rear end, and and the natural reaction for the hitter is to back up, so he kind of backs into the pitch. I mean, if he had hit him in the rear end area, um, I would have absolutely no problem with it. Joe Kelly did, um, but throwing up by the head, that that for me, I wish he would have done it differently. Now the weird thing is, he gets this long suspension. He didn't, he didn't hit either batter. He threw behind yeah. Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa. He did not hit anybody. He did not get kicked out of the game. And the umpires didn't even issue any warnings, I mean, which they should have. That's another issue. I mean, they, the umpires probably should have uh, 
had a talk with both teams before the game with the manager saying, look, we know the history. We're not going to tolerate anything. But, you know, I don't know why that wasn't done. So part of this was mishandled as well. But, yeah, overall, um, you know, it's odd. I mean, like I say, he didn't hit anybody, yet he's suspended for all this length of time. But that, that's why I said I, I like his thought. I just wish he would have done it, you know, thrown at the bottom half of the body. You can't go upstairs that much. And, and I can tell you the A's are one of the first teams to ever complain to Major League Baseball about sign stealing. They knew it was going on. So are are we in a situation when the A's play the Astros that you immediately have to warn the managers? I mean, I mean, how much are, are we going to protect these guys who basically got away with everything? Well, and and the answer to your question, I think, is we're going to protect those Astros an awful lot this year because, you know, you go back to when spring training before it was interrupted back in February and March when Commissioner Manfred, uh, you know, in fact, he said it, I think, if I'm not mistaken, about a day after, you know, all kinds of players across the league were ripping the Astros and uh, they were threatening them. And Dusty Baker finally said, look, baseball is going to have to do something because my guys aren't just going to be targets all year. And it was a day or two after that that, sure enough, Rob Manford stepped up and said, you know, we're not going to tolerate headhunting on the Astros this year. And, you know, based on Joe Kelly's suspension, uh, he clearly meant what he said early in the spring because of the severity of the suspension. I mean, he, he put his, you know, he certainly backed that up. So, you know, if I'm playing the Astros this year, if I'm Oakland, if I'm the A's or anybody else, you know, I think awful hard before I make an impulsive decision, whether it's to try to throw at a batter or do anything else, because I think it's been made pretty clear now you're going to get whacked. You know, and let's end on this. We, we're we talking about the CBA coming up after this season. And the thing for me, which is so interesting, is the fact that, you know, talking about universal DH, that's a win for the players union. Uh, maybe adding two more teams, Portland and somewhere else, whether it's Montreal or Nashville, that's more jobs. It seems like baseball keeps doing everything the players' union wants. It's almost like Tony Clark, like what, what what's Tony Clark not getting and the players' union not getting that 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 they don't they, they're not agreeing upon. In terms of of what? Well, to me, they're constantly giving them more jobs. I mean, as I said, the universal DH, adding two right. organizations, like like uh, money's going up, and you got record record contracts. Like like, what are they not happy with? Well, money's not going up. That's the one thing. Uh, uh, here's the thing: uh, uh, the average. I mean, there's some like Mookie Betts contract, obviously an eye opener, record contract. Mike Trout, his extension. Manny Machado and Bryce Harper last year. All of that is pretty eye-popping. And there, there are some record contracts. There's no question. But the low-end guys aren't getting – or the middle – you know, it's either the all or nothing. The, the, the entry-level guys, you know, young players, of course, get the major league minimum. And what's happening is with these record contracts, some of the, the veteran middle-of-the-road players are getting squeezed out of the game. Um, here, here's the key, and this is, this is where the Players' Union feels pressure. Um, the last two years, not this year, but 2019 and 18, the average major league salary has declined for two years running. That's that it seems hard to believe in light of the big contracts, but the average, average major league contract has declined in, in average annual value 
two years in a row leading into this year. So that's the first time that's happened in back-to-back years since the Players Union started, basically, in the, in the late 60s. So while the, the stars are getting theirs, the flip side is other guys aren't, and the Players Union is watching two years of declining average salary, and they're saying, wait a minute, we know baseball the last couple of years has had record revenues, the $12 billion a year industry, 11 or $12 billion. So while the revenues are going up, the average salary two years ago gone down. That's that's the crux of a lot of the disagreement between the players' union right now and the owners, and what and what the players' union isn't happy with. Scott, what's so fascinating about that is that's what they wanted. The players wanted a system. They want the big money. Yeah, they wanted to be. They wanted Mike Trout contracts. Now that it's back, isn't it amazing how this is what they fought for? We don't want a salary cap because. Because if we look at the NBA and we look at the NFL, the salary cap helps middle-of-the-road players. They make more in a salary cap. But yet baseball doesn't want that. They've always wanted the stars to get paid, and now they're realizing what they've wanted is not working for them. Right. So, you know, this current bait, we, we, we already came, you know, went through hell and high water to try to get the game back on the field this year. It got there. Hopefully it stays there and we can avoid more coronavirus cases. And then we've got next year and then the current collective bargaining agreement is up after next year. So basically uh, they're all going to have to regroup and start negotiating with each other again here, you know, less than a year, probably in the next five or six months, it's going to be time to start the next batch of negotiations. So, you know, for those of us that miss the game when it's not on the field, as we did earlier this summer, we can only hope those negotiations go a lot smooth, more smoothly than this year's. But uh, it's going to be, I'm sure, some animosity and some a lot of nail biting for everybody. Are you still doing some work around the Padres? Uh, some. I do some TV for Fox Sports San Diego. Yep. By the way, those new uniforms, they're, they're, they're very clean. I, li- I like the look. Yeah, you know, I've, 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 brown's never been my favorite color, but, of course, the Padres, they went retro because when they came into the league in 1969, you know, they were brown and gold, then they went brown and orange. And uh, having said what I did about brown, I will agree with you that so far they, they did a real nice job with that uh, redesign. All three of the uniforms they've worn so far this season at home and on the road uh, look real good. You are the best. We always appreciate your time. Stay safe down there in Southern California. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Take care, Chris. Ryan, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Hey, guys. How you doing? We are doing well. How are you guys doing in the Pacific Northwest? We're doing okay. We're hanging in there. <laughs> I know. It's great. You know, it, it, it it's so crazy. You know, we just had the Rockies in town. And I was telling our audience, you know, these guys go down to Texas. They come here to the Bay Area. Both Texas and California are hot spots. And when you finish right. your road trip to start the season out four and one, I got to tell you, that was really impressive to watch. Anybody that's going on the road right now and winning, that's impressive. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a lot. There's a lot more, so many more challenges for, for these players than on the road. And I feel like it's inevitable, though. I mean, at some point, you're going to run into, like you said, a hot spot or some situation because, yeah, Major League Baseball, yes, they're trying to be careful, but there's really no regulations. Guys, in and out of the hotel. I know, yeah, you know, some of the Mariners players were like, 
Should we leave the hotel? Is it safe? Everyone's kind of on the fence as to what is good and what's bad. And I think, too, honestly, as crazy as it sounds, the Phillies and what's happened with the Phillies, um, you know, for the team covering every other team, hopefully this is a wake-up call and the manager brings them in, has that team meeting, says, guys, just don't leave the hotel. Just stay put, mask on, and let's try and keep everyone healthy so we can try and sneak into the playoffs. Yeah, when, when, when it first came out about the Marlins, I, I mean, I had to put my thinking cap on because the media doesn't do it anymore, and they don't really ask the right <laughs> questions, and they were like, oh, my God, everybody in baseball has like, oh, wait a minute. How, how do they get it in the other 2019? Well, obviously, they broke protocol. They go down to yep. the hotel bar, which you're not supposed to. I mean, if these guys realize for two – we're just asking you to do the right thing for two months. That's all we're asking. Right. Right, and and you look at it this way too. It's it's one of these things that it's it's going to affect your career one way or the other. It's it's you know look, and I'm not I'm not you know pointing fingers at the Marlins young roster or anything like that whatsoever. But you're right. How does one team come out with this many cases? I'm guessing too. I, I haven't looked you know deeper into this. Apparently, they're playing with guys they knew that were infected, which is like come on, really. So yeah. I think it it goes it, it comes down to it's it's not. Oh, the players are victims here. It's you know what? You stay in the hotel for a couple months. It's going to affect your career if you don't. And, and from an organizational standpoint, when you look at this, but you look at these different rosters that are built. We just played the Angels, who just went out and just spent a boatload of money to, you know, to, for, to get Anthony Rendon. They got no pitching. But they look at this. If they lose two of those guys in that lineup, they are screwed. It affects them long term as well, where they are as a, and people's jobs on the line. It's just a crazy time. Well, and you think about last year, you know, we, we took on the, you know, we took on the Mariners in Japan and then we come back and the Mariners got out to a hot start. Now, obviously yeah. by the end of the year, it was a different deal, but it's like, I mean, tell me as a player, uh, you get out to a hot, a hot start, no matter what the roster looks like, you got to feel confident. You do. And, and it's crazy. I mean, you, you got 10 straight here you, or you go, you know, eight and two in a period of time, let's say in two weeks, the Seattle Mariners, who were not picked to do anything this year, they're in, you know, quote-unquote rebuild, reset, whatever, however they want to label it, year. And they go out and, and you know, two weeks from now, go out and go 8-2. Man, they're staring down the barrel of one of these extra, extra playoff spots. And the other part of this is, too, you can, on the flip side of that, you know, you have a team that goes to some hot spot at the right time of the year or the wrong time of the year, and all of a sudden, boom. There you are. But from a player's point of view, it's crazy. The 60-game season, I'm still fascinated by some of these guys' pitching performance. I, you know, I was a pitcher, and if I had three weeks of summer camp just doing inner squads, trust me, my first couple of outings would be rough. I'd be throwing about 82 miles an hour and just hanging curveballs left, right, and center. I'd be getting crushed. So it's pretty impressive. Some of these dudes who are ready to go, like Marco Gonzalez, he looked okay his first time out. Second time out, he looked, he looked great with the Mariners last night. So I'm going to tip my hat to him. It's a crazy situation. They were hanging out at home in isolation, and then Bruno said, strap it on, you've got three weeks, uh, and then here they are, 60-game season. Anything can happen. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just it's a, it's a crazy time of year. You know, we're now starting to see starting pitchers go the second time around. We got to see the first starts. Mm-hmm. Now it's the same. Like, when do you think starting pitchers are going to be able to be like, okay, six, seven innings, I'm good to go? I think I, I usually, you know, coming out of spring training, I'd usually, you know, the first one, a bit of a mulligan, I think, for, for a lot of guys. Not everyone, but a lot of guys. You know, if you're, if you're a guy who, 
you know, relies on feel, like, you know, like Marco Gonzalez. For, I used him as an example. He pitched last night. Well, then I'm going to give him a couple. Uh, some of these other guys, everyone apparently throws 97, 98 these days. But I think, you know, usually, uh, usually it's that second, third time. You should be able to get in some kind of rhythm. But the, the crazy thing about this is coming off a three-week summer camp, I'm, I'm going to give it a couple more before guys lock in. But the problem is with that, I mean, guys are going to get, what, nine starts, ten starts, maybe? So you're looking at halfway through the year where you're going to start settling in. And it's one of these things that can play on your mind, too. I know this. It would start to warm up. I'd be midway through the year. I'd start looking up at that ERA, and then you start pressing a little bit. So if you're only two, three starts into this, and you start glancing up and you still see a six up on the board, that can mess you with your head because you're like, man, I've only got a month here to figure this out and prove myself if I'm a young pitcher to going into next year. So that can play on your mind as well. And that can be a factor with some of these, some of these pitchers, you know, knowing that they've only got two months to really try and settle in and put up some good numbers. How about the hitters? I mean, there's guys right now. We got one of them in Chris Davis, who's 0 for 15. Can you imagine? Right. You you don't have a hit so, yet. You're a week in. Right, and and that's you know we had you know Daniel Vogel back. He was an all star last year who had got off to such a hot start in April last year, and then the league kind of figured him out, and then he started to simmer down. Again, it's one of these things that you just hit into a bone net for two straight months. You know, not quite, you don't really have a date as to when this is going to kick off. And then you start turning on the TV, flicking on Twitter, and you see the, the players' union and the owners going back and forth. Like, okay, we're close, we're close. And then all of a sudden you find out, now you've got three weeks in, in a squad. So from the hitter standpoint, man, it's going to be tough facing live pitching guys you don't know, not your teammates. Guys from, you know, everyone throws 95 plus, like I said. And now you've got to, you know, you've got to get off the couch, you've been sitting on for three months, or hitting into that pocket you bought from Amazon. Go three weeks into summer camp, and now you go to perform. And again, same thing. You're going to start pressing a little bit. And, and as you said, you know these guys are throwing 97, 98. Got even certain guys are throwing over a hundred. And now with starting starting pitchers only going like three, four innings. Now you got to face yeah. every single time up. You're facing a different pitcher. I mean that's exactly. as a hitter, that's got to be unbelievable. Yeah, and and again, and you're going to get you know, matched up a lot more. You know, if you're left-handed hitter, you're going to face more lefties, more at-bats facing uh, lefties because those starters just aren't going as long. And there's, a, you know, there's, uh, you know, two to three lefties that they can throw at you because you've got that extended uh, roster as well. Uh, let's end on this. Uh, Liam Hendricks, also a fellow Australian. How much do you follow, uh, if there's an Australian in the league, how much do you follow that guy? Well, first of all, Liam and I, uh, we're, we're pretty close. We're good friends. And one of your ex uh, players, Grant Balfour. Grant Balfour was a groomsman at my wedding. So we're we're a tight little community. If you, <laughs> and I've had both these guys. I've got a podcast. I've had both of them on, and it's been a blast. I feel like I'm, you know, sitting at the pub drinking a beer when I when I spoke to both of them. Uh, but Liam, I'm so I'm I'm proud of him, man. What he's done coming from Minnesota, proving himself, getting a chance. Bob Melvin giving him a chance to close, and he's just tearing it up. So I keep in constant contact with him. Uh, he's always good, but there's, there's Australian kids back home that I, I like to coach. Um, and he'll, he'll be like, hey, man, give, give the kid my number. He can give me a call. I'm like, dude, MLB All-Star, man, chill out. You know what I mean? That's the kind of person he is. So I'm in close contact with him. I follow what he does. He always seems to have that little roller coaster period uh, in his year where he'll give it up for a little bit and then and simmer back down. So I'm, I'm excited to watch him and, and see where this goes in the next couple of years in his career. But, uh, yeah, he's a good mate of mine, that's for sure. 
Well, I can tell you, having covered both Liam, Liam's salt of the earth, what he does for people, what he does for animals, it's yeah. amazing. And, right. and Balfour, it's just, it's, it's, it, it, you guys are so level headed and good guys that you don't allow the money and the stardom to, 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 to change you guys. That's the one thing I've always noticed about Australian players. Right. Well, well, look, Grant, a lot of people who don't know Grant, and if, if you've had a chance to spend some time with him, he will do anything for you. You just had David Forst on, on, on your show just before me. I never forget, I came to Oakland. I had a bunch of these Australian kids in the middle of the summer a couple of years ago. I have myself and another Australian, Trent Olsen, played in the big leagues. We bring teams over, young kids over. And so we're there, and David Forst comes up to me, and we're, we're talking. He goes, now, I feel like I know you. I said, Why is that? He said, because when you got DFA'd from the Houston Astros, Balfour was in my office every day saying, sign him, sign him, sign him. That's the kind of person he is. He just, he's, you know, he's very, he's a loyal friend of mine and, and he was pushing so hard. And I remember him telling me, he's like, hey man, I'm going to get you over with the Oakland A's. I said, dude, it's okay. And I'm thinking, okay, how much is he, is he shooting a text message off to someone? But apparently hearing that from David, he was bugging him and banging down his door. And that's just goes to show what kind of person Grant is. Yeah, he was a special guy, and he was a uh, great closer for the A's. Ryan, thank you so much for the time. Have a good broadcast tonight. Be safe, and uh, hopefully we'll get this thing in, and we'll talk to you again. Sounds good. Th appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. I don't know if he's out playing golf with Dennis Eckersley. We have no idea what he's doing. Glenn, how are you? What do you mean? I'm getting ready for a ball game, man. You ready to go? I mean, let's face it. I mean, we only have 54 Absolutely. games left. Absolutely. I got my lineup card filled out. I'm at the Coliseum doing a game from Seattle. What more do you want? Come on. I, I, I'm, I'm ready. You know, got to win tonight because you got a two-game losing streak, and we know 2.7 games for each game. <laughs> That's right. Two-game losing streaks like a five-game losing streak, right? Yeah. I mean, it's uh... – I mean, it's, I mean, it really is crazy about getting off to a hot start. You look at some of these teams and what an advantage they have. Yeah, and, you know, I think I just had, I got a feeling that the A's are going to have a good weekend. You know, they did not play great against the Rockies. They're not hitting. And this is, you know, too good of a lineup to not hit for a real long period of time. So uh, Mariners actually have played pretty well, but um, I, I could see the A's kind of starting to swing it a little bit this weekend it's a four game series so you got a shot to, to get yourself right and then you come home and you got a, a, another home stand so um i i got a good feeling about this weekend that they're going to get themselves rolling a little bit i gotta tell you I, i'm like mass respect for the rockies i mean you go on the road for two series two hot spots in texas and california and you come out of that four and one uh, as they're leaving the Coliseum, I'm going mass respect. Yeah, you know what? And and it, it, the Rockies are hard to figure out. You know, they were in the playoffs in 17 and 18, and then last year they just completely fell apart. But you look at their team, and they're pretty good. And they pitched really well. They pitched well the, the whole first week of the season. So if they do that at all, um, you know, they got a shot. And, and, you know, Ray and I in Dallas talked about it too, Tony, is – is in the National League West, where you know clearly the Dodgers are 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 the, the the premier team in that division, right? But it doesn't matter. You just got to play for second place, right? Second place gets you in the postseason and a three game series, um, you know. So and it's it's that way, obviously in 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 every division. But 
the National League West just, you know, kind of has a team that's, to me, head and shoulders above everybody else in the Dodgers. But, hey, second place, man, and you're going to the big dance, right? Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, last night watching the Padres, and I'm thinking, man, Rockies, Padres. Yeah. They all got it. I mean, like, I, I, if it's 162 games, there's no chance these guys are beating the Dodgers. But in 60 games and now down to 54 games, I mean, why not the yeah, Rockies or the Padres? Yeah, no, you you may be right. And and I watched a little of the Padres, too. Though. They got a really good lineup. They're athletic. You know, they play with, uh, you know, they run around a little bit. Um, if that young pitching can hold up, you know, for a couple months, I think, I think the the Padres may have arrived. Uh, I think they're going to be good for a while. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Again, you may be right. I mean, if the, if the Dodgers scuffle a little bit, you know, and, and and they're banged up pitching wise, who knows? Absolutely, that's what makes this season, you know, kind of interesting and and, and kind of strange and fun in, in a in a different kind of way. You know, now we're going to start seeing guys for the second time around. I, I thought Frankie Montas threw the ball great in his second. Um, we're now going to see everybody in the rotation. Uh, Jesus Cesardo is now going to start uh, next Tuesday. What are your now expectations of starting pitchers a- as we're going to see the second and third time around? Yeah, well, you know, we talked about that too over the weekend and against the Rockies about, you know, is it time – for the A starting pitchers to start stretching out a little bit and getting deeper into games. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you always want your guys to do that. It is a little strange, you know, this year, what's deeper into the game now, right? You, I think if you, if you get a starter who was six innings, you, you know, that's a big deal right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I do think that, that, uh, you know, starting tonight, you're going to see our guys, you know, maybe just settle in a little bit more. They're probably up to 75, 85 pitches. You should be able to get you five, six innings there. Um, and, and, you know, I, I could see that starting to happen because you, you're talking about a pretty, pretty good rotation that the A's have. But you also have to remember, Tony, tonight starts a stretch of 30 games in 31 days. Um, you know, that's a lot of baseball. One day off in the month of August, you know, so you, you – you can't keep throwing your bullpen out there for four or five innings when you have a stretch like what the A's are starting with here in the month of August. So is tonight going to be the first game you call remotely? It is. Yeah. Yep. We are all set up. Uh, We're all pretty confident, but it's going to be different. I mean, I got a, I have a a giant monitor right in front of me. It kind of, I'm staring right at it. It's like if, if it wasn't there, I'd be looking at the field at the Coliseum. So call it off that. We have other monitors to help us. We have what we call an all nine monitor, which is a, a lockdown camera that is kind of from high, the high home area. So you see the whole field, you see all the, all the defenders, you see all the base runners, which, you know, you're probably not going to see on the, on a game camera. Um, that'll help us, you know, guys scoring shifts and that type of thing. We'll be able to see that. So that's a camera we'll watch for. Um, so we have some, some different looks that will help us make it feel like we're, we're looking at the field, but it's definitely going to be different. I mean, I've never done this before. Nobody has. And I've talked to some people who have done a few games like this in the last week. And they said, you know, it's very different, but just, you know, don't rush it. Just, 
just, you know, maybe sit back a little bit more than you would normally. Um, so, but well, you know, Hey, I'll let you know it goes tomorrow. How about that? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I, I can't remember what Olympics it was, but I remember there was a bunch of people that were doing the play by play at NBC, uh, in the Bay area and also New York, like, cause you always, yeah. when you watch the Olympics, you think everybody's there and like 75% of all the broadcasts of the Olympics is being called here in the United States. I was like, that's yeah. fascinating to me, but this has been, I guess this has been going on for years. Well, it has. Yeah. You do see in the Olympics some, and, and there are some sports stations that are starting to do it a little bit more. Um, I don't think it's ideal. I mean, I think your announcer still, makes a big difference if they're there. I mean, it just really does. Um, but this year is, is not normal. So, you know, and, and our hope, you know, Ray and myself and all of our, our, you know, the guys down on the TV truck is, is that, is that the viewers sitting at home watching the game, they don't even know that we're not there. You know, it, it, yeah. we're just hoping that it looks the same, acts the same, smells the same. And, you know, they, when it's all said and done, they're just watching an A's game from the road. So that's our goal, and I, I'm sure we'll pull it off. So, You know, starting out slow is so rough on any of these players. I know we're concentrating on Chris Davis, but, you know, if a player ran into you like in a hallway and said, hey, Kipe, man, I'm really struggling, what, what advice would you give a player who starts out slow in a season that is only 60 games? Oh man, that's a, that's a tough question. I, I don't know. I mean, listen, I, I'm, you know, I would probably give them the, Hey, hang in there. You know what I mean? I mean, everything's going to be fine, but, but they are thinking like that. I don't think there's any question about it. Um, you know, Chris Davis is, is struggling and he is not playing tonight. Uh, the A's will face a couple of left-handers later on in the series, not tonight, but they will uh, tomorrow night with Kikuchi. And then on Monday, Justice Sheffield. So they'll face two lefties. I think Chris will be in there for those two lefties. Um, but hey, Bob Melvin, you know, he realizes what's going on here. You hate to have to do that. But, you know, Chris has not looked great. It looks like he's just, you know, pulling off, chasing out of the strike zone. And that's what he was doing last year. It almost like he got in a funk last year, Tony, and he has not got out of it. Um, so pretty sure there's nothing I could say that would change anything, but, but I think it's important to get him rolling, but it's, it's, it's one of those difficult decisions for the manager. You do want to get him rolling, but, but you only got 56 games left or 54 games left. So um, Bob handles those things very well. And I'm sure he's very honest with Chris Davis, uh, which good managers usually tell their players you know exactly how they feel. Yeah, I like to tell people that's above my pay grade, and uh, that's why they Absolutely. pay me. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. think about yeah. this. The A's are 3-3, three and three, and I have this stat where the A's are just hitting 207. They've only scored yep. 21 runs. It's like, normally, yep. I wouldn't even ask you that through the first six games, but now it's like, it's July. I mean, it's August tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, and it, it, it really does change everybody's mindset a little bit, including players, staff, including fans and, and announcers. I, you just look at things differently. You know, you know, when do you start to worry? You know, what's, what's the worry date? How many do you worry after 20 games, which is a third of the year? You know, nobody really knows exactly, you know, you know, when, when concern should set in. 
But listen, I, I, I do think, and this is going to sound silly, Tony, it is just six games, you know, which is the equivalent to, what, 15 uh, in a regular season. So I, I, I don't think there's a whole lot to worry about just yet. Um, I, think when, I think when you start to get to, to, you know, maybe 20, 25 games, you know, then see what's going on. See who's see what other teams are, are, are playing well and see how you're playing. Um, so I don't think there's a whole lot to worry about just yet. So baseball has approved seven inning double headers. So they're talking about potential virus. They're talking about weather problems that could be coming our way. I mean, go back to when you you and I were playing in high school. We played seven inning games. This is going to be interesting. Well, it is. It is. And, and again, completely different. I don't know that. Listen, I don't think Major League Baseball and the Players Union really wanted to do this, but I don't think they have a choice at this point because now, you know, doubleheaders are going to are, are, are going to happen, obviously, you know, because of the pandemic. But, you know, you're going to have weather problems, too. Um, and these doubleheaders are going to need to be played and there's probably going to be a lot of them played. Um, so I, I think they did the right thing. It is strange. Um, again, everything about this year is strange. So I don't really have a problem with it. Um, but but you, you're going to see them. You're going to see probably a lot of them. Uh, but I, I think the players are probably okay with it. Uh, I know they voted for it, but uh, I, th- I think they're good with it. And it, it's not going to be something that's going to be here after this year. But, again, if that's what it takes to, to get these games in and to get everybody as close as you can to 60 games, then, you know what, I'm all for it. So I was obviously watching you guys, and it was uh, it was pretty historic. It's, it's, it's going to be a trivia question. What happened the first time there was ever a runner on second base to start extra innings? And to think that that runner got nullified right away because of Olsen right. Chapman is pretty crazy. But as a broadcaster, what? And, and I know Ray was talking about it, about like, how do you even score this? I mean, what was that like for you as a play-by-play guy where there's a guy on second and he just, he just got put there? Well, yeah, you, you, yeah, you got to You have to put him there in your scorebook, right? I mean, yeah, I just, I, I drew, I drew him in and just, but it's, it's very strange. I, I did, I did like it. Meaning you, you immediately had, had drama and excitement in the top of the inning and in the bottom of the inning. I mean, you immediately had it, which I kind of like that. Um, I don't know if this is going to stick around, but again, this year I'm, I'm fine with it, but, um, you know, it was funny too. The Astros and the Dodgers—they played 13 innings the other night, and I looked at that. Uh, you know, I looked at the, the the game summary and what was going on in that, and and nobody bunted, nobody. So that's 10, 11, 12, 13, four extra innings. Nobody bunted. So uh, the the bunt thing is just not happening, um, which is a little surprising, I think, for a home team. If you can hold the visiting team from scoring in the top of the inning, um, that is, from what I've read, that would be the best time to bunt if you're the home team. But then you got to think about who's hitting too. You're not gonna, you know, you're gonna you're not gonna bunt Matt Olson or anything like that. So it's interesting. Uh, you, you know, it's kind of crazy, but but you know, all of a sudden you perk up a little bit when it's the when it's the extra innings and and. Already, already, the, the, the game is on the line right away. So, pr- 
probably not fair to relievers. I don't think relievers are too thrilled about it, but um, hey, we'll enjoy it this year. Please tell me you took money from Dennis Eckersley on the golf course during this pandemic. No, never take money from a Hall of Famer. <laughs> you, can't, you can't you can't take money from a Hall of Famer or your older brother. So that really puts me with no shot. <laughs> you know, I was, yeah. I, was, I, was, I was watching last night. I was watching your brother, and you can just – you can just tell. I mean, he and Kruko have been together for so long. It's just, it's like odd for them to be in a different booth. Yeah, and they have cardboard cutouts of each other sitting next to them. So, so they they're in separate booths, but they still can't get enough of each other, right? Which which is what makes them as great as they are. So, you know, they have they've been having fun for a long, long time, and it's not going to change. So. Um, I enjoy listening to them. They, they still, after all these years, make me laugh. You know, I've heard every one of my brother's jokes, but I still yeah. kind of chuckle once in a while. So. <laughs> well, people forget you used to be on the broadcast back in the day. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm better off where I'm at now, but we did have a lot of fun together. So, well, the that was a long time ago, Tony. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, no, no, it was a long time ago. It was you doing sharks and me drinking beers behind you. Yeah, thank you. In the afternoon, too. <laughs> the good old days. Shark, sharks dropping the puck at 105. County with a beer at 110. Stuff with that. <laughs> oh, God. I, I You know what? I miss those days. Oh, man. So do I. So do I. They were fun. All right, buddy. Be well. Be safe with you and the family. We'll be watching tonight. Good. Thanks, Tony. Have a good one, buddy. Do we have Kendall Graveman? How are you? <laughs> I'm good, guys. How are you all? It's been a while. How's life treating you up there in the Pacific Northwest? It's great. Uh, getting a season on the road and finally being back um, at home for our first series is is nice. The weather's been perfect ever since we get out here, so no complaints over this way. For you as a player, what has it been like to travel? Exciting. <laughs> I've stayed in one place for almost two years. You know, I was in Arizona, so... Um, I mean, for me on my end, it, it's been a blast. Uh, travel's been good. Travel's been safe for us. And, uh, we've done a good job on this end of protocol and everything, the, the environment right now that we're in. So I think our team's done a great job having leaders stand up and not to say other teams haven't, but Hey, let's play ball and let's be smart about what we're doing and let's see how many games we can get in this year. And it all starts with how safe we can be. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because it really is about you guys. It's about staying to protocol. It's about staying safe. And the only way this thing's going to go, if you guys all buy in. For sure. And that's where leadership stands up and, and says, hey, this is what we're about this year. This is what we're dealing with. This is the hand we're dealt. Let's make the most of it. And, you know, I've, we've done a good job over here in Seattle and hopefully every other team has of not complaining and, and, and griping because of some of the changes that are being made. And, I mean, heck, the first series we went on, the, the food was a little messed up in the clubhouse just because of the environment that we're in. But, I mean, there's, there wasn't much complaining. We dealt with it. Um, so I think that those little things, there's going to be hiccups along the way. So uh, for me and, and our team, uh, we've got some great leaders over here, Seeger and D Gordon and some of the guys that uh, we've just been watching and hopefully myself follow along the the younger guys who stepped on board and just said hey this is what we're going to do you know one thing watching you with the oakland athletics just you know love the two seamer and the sink 
But now we're getting all these reports about how hard you're throwing after Tommy John surgery. What's going on with your velocity? Yeah, man, I'm blessed to be in the situation I'm in to be able to pitch again after coming off of surgery. Uh, actually, yesterday was the two-year mark of surgery. So, man, I, and my last start, it was 808 days from the last time I stepped on the mound, which is was it in an Oakland A uniform before my last start uh, against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. Ended up getting a win, and I thought I threw the ball well, and then unfortunately was 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 injured after that. But there's been a ton of work. Um, I started with the A's after my surgery. Um, the clubhouse staff, the the training staff that was in Arizona, those guys that a lot of people don't even know. They're so anonymous, and they did a great job uh, helping. Uh, rehabilitate me and get me back where I am. But then the Cubs, hats off to them for um, picking me up for a year. I was blessed to be in that situation and learn and grow and strengthen over there. And then this opportunity came about. So there's so many people that I need to thank, uh, thank and to get me back to this point and healthy. And it's a lot of anonymous days. You just feel like no one's paying attention, which they're not, and to be expected. But just to put your head down each day, work, and know that the process is going to be 18 months to 24 months. And, man, it's a, it was just such a good feeling to get back out there. Obviously, the numbers didn't show what I wanted to, but um, there was an accomplishment in my mind to get back on a big league mound. You know, I'm so glad you bring that up, the timeline, because we, we kind of got to a point in the media where we're like, oh, you have Tommy John, you're back in 12 months. And the reality yeah. is it's not – and a guy you know well, we've talked about, uh, him multiple times and and his setbacks, Chris Bassett. I mean, obviously, Chris, it took a while. And, and for yourself, so it's like for for us to act like, ah, oh, you go under the knife and you're you'll be back in twelve months. That's not really the case. It takes time to come back from Tommy John surgery. Yeah, and it's not very fair for anybody in that scenario to be put like, oh, he should be good after twelve months. It's really a. I mean, I would say. 18 to 24 months till you feel back yourself now you can pitch and you're healthy but man there's still days and bringing up Chris Bassett one of a good friend good friend of mine and I told him yesterday I told him I was thankful after my start I said thank you for helping me um, get through some of the tough days because there'll be days where I would be man is it torn again am I hurt again it doesn't feel right and I would call Chris and I would say hey did you deal with this he was like yeah and he would honestly talked me out of some of the thoughts I was having. And I'm just thankful that he did that to me. And I hope I can be an encouragement to others the way he encouraged me throughout the process, because it's a lonely process and the days are longer when you're rehabbing than when you're playing. And um, it just, uh, you need that support staff around you to help you get through because from a fan, fan perspective, it's, Hey, yeah, he'll be back in a year, but it's a little bit more than that. It goes a little deeper. What was it like, and I know I've talked to Chris about this, but what was it like the minute you went, I'm throwing the ball, I'm healthy, and I can trust it? I tell you what, I, I had a start. Um, it was when in, in the Arizona Rookie Ball League when I was with the Cubs, and it might have even been a live VP, uh, some situation where I was actually facing hitters for the first time, and the ball was coming out well, and man, I sat down on the bench and I just cried. And I've talked to a lot of people and it's like, a lot of people have that same reaction, that same emotion. And even right now, I, I go back to that. I'm, I can picture it sitting there and just, it's a, 
man, it's a, a feeling that because we played the game for so long and when it gets taken away, you want to continue to feel well. But when it finally happens and your mind switches over to, hey, now I'm healthy, I'm thankful that I'm healthy, it's a big, big um, encouragement to yourself. It's uh, kind of a weight lifted off your back, um, for lack of better terms. You know, we're not supposed to root for you guys, but uh, obviously, uh, as an Oakland A, you're always going to be an Oakland A, and we we root for you. I, I remember when you got engaged. <laughs> I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah, it's how, that, how life works. But you know, we're always going to root for you and pull for you. And I, I'm so happy that you're in this frame of mind because I know just how tough it is to come. Once you go under the knife, it, it, it's a whole different story. Well, guys, I, I can't speak highly enough of the A's organization and what they did for me and my career. And there's so many people to thank from Bo Mel to David Forrest to the whole front office and um, training staff over there, Nick Paparesta when he was there and our ways there and when I was there. And it's just one of those situations where you, you feel a bond, a connection, because they let me pitch through some tough times, some good times. I, I had good and bad days over there, but I grew a lot as a person and I'm so thankful for what they did in, in trusting me with the ball every five days. And that's something that I don't take lightly. And I, I mean that sincerely, um, the thankfulness that I've got for that organization. And, and I wish the best, too. Obviously, I, I'm over here now and I want to pitch and compete. And, and that's a different story when we step between the lines. But from the outside looking in, um, what a, an outstanding organization to be involved with and uh, how they treated me. Hey, good luck to you. Be safe. And, you know, we're always going to be pulling for you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate y'all. God bless you. Take care. All right. See you. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.